0: Damon Brown is with me. We're hanging out on Hello. the internet. How you doing, man? I'm
1: doing great.
0: Um, yeah, life is good. Yeah. We haven't seen each other for a weirdly amount of time, like a long, long time. It's. I was thinking about it
1: when um, I was firing up to talk to you, and it's been exactly a decade. What the hell are you serious? Mm-hmm. Yep, because um, Porn and Pong came out which was my first major book. I was living in San Francisco. I was over in um, Japantown. And um, I know they can't see this, but I have a drink, because the last time I was on an event of yours, we were drinking. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, down in, um, in Soma in one of the fancy office buildings. I forgot who you were working with. IGN comes to mind, but I'm not sure if that was the case. And you had a show with another gentleman who was quite a bit younger, and we came on to talk about Porn and Pong, and you pulled out a bottle of Jack Daniels. (laughs) That sounds like me. (laughs) It's uh, 2009, I think. Yeah, because Porn and Pong came out right after, around the time I moved to San Francisco, and I was there from 08 to 11. And I think we didn't really connect until a little bit later, so I'm thinking 2009. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's crazy, dude. And time yeah. is, it's an illusion anyhow, but th- it makes it <laughs> yes. sound like it's been forever. <laughs> <laughs> totally... We were much younger then, and I'm sure we drank more. So. Hey, you know what though, To for what it's worth, yeah. uh, great for audio. Um, but we both look real, real similar. I'm going to, I'm gonna put that out there. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. yeah. I, I
1: like, I'll, I'll take that compliment and shoot it right back at you.
0: Yeah. So you're having uh, What? what are you having again? Yeah,
1: I feel like it's an advertisement. Um, Oh, it's okay. A good friend of mine, uh, Jeanette Hurt, um, she's at JeanetteHurt.com, so might as well throw that out there. She uh, specializes in spirits as much as I specialize in technology and as of late have specialized in entrepreneurship. We've been friends for uh, probably two decades, so a fellow journalist, and Mm -hmm. she stayed in the journalism field while I kind of expanded to other things. But uh, we're still very supportive of each other, and uh, yeah. So she she actually mailed me some um, some good spirits here, and it's Napog Castle, okay. and it's a single malt Irish whiskey, uh, triple distilled, fourteen years old. Whoa! Yeah. So um, I live in the Midwest now, um, and she also lives in the Midwest, but a little bit too far for us to see each other regularly. And so, uh, yeah, so she was like, I'm going to hook you up. And a lot of other stuff going on. But part of it was for the celebration of Bring Your Worth. So the new book coming out and or that's out now. And so uh, I know we're doing a late night podcast. So I fired up the coffee and I'm having a, a nice Irish whiskey uh, on the side uh, with nice. some coffee. So, I love the like, combination,
0: yeah. by the way. Coffee and whiskey. It's a am a big fan. Come of on now.
1: Yeah. Come the, on. The so ancestors I'm having...
0: knew what was going on. Yeah. I'm having the La Colombe. I don't know how you say mm-hmm. that. La Colombe coffee. It's in a can, giraffe latte, uh, espresso with dark chocolate. And you said mm-hmm. you went to the actual location of these guys, right?
1: I did. I did. Um, I don't know if they have like a chain or if I just happened to go to one. Um, but I was in um, in Boston late last year and um, I was connected with a friend of mine. He's like, Yeah, let's go to La Colombe. And I was like, Oh, okay. And then I, sure your city and so we went there and uh had a really nice cup of coffee and um i think i had a danish or something um i didn't actually start drinking coffee until um shortly after i saw you last and so really yeah so i didn't start drinking coffee i'm in my early 40s now and so i didn't start drinking coffee until close to my mid-30s and um i just got married and I had visited three new continents within about three months. It was a lot of traveling. Yeah, so my wife and I had our honeymoon in Morocco and that was our first time in, in, to Africa. I'm sorry, two new continents. So it was the first time to Africa. And then around that same time, I got invited down to Bogota, Colombia, um, when I'd never been to South America before. And I went down there and I had amazing coffee yeah, now, I'd already been to Paris, I'd done my share in traveling and so forth and nothing really did it for me. But when I went
0: out to Columbia, I was like, okay, yeah. I can get behind this coffee thing. I got to get in the coffee now. That's funny cuz that I I'm similar in the fact that it took me a while to start drinking it and my in was not the amazing coffee that you had, but it was a mocha. Just that general idea of like dark chocolate and coffee. I was like, you know what? I already love dark chocolate. <laughs> Oh, okay. So, there it is. You know yeah. what I mean? And that like got me in. And yeah. then I started experimenting with a bunch of stuff. Like this morning I had the Bulletproof coffee. How was um, that? Is that the one was, where they put the, the
1: butter in there too, right? The butter in there. The, and it's the uh, it. it
0: was actually a version with collagen, which was interesting. Collagen? Um, yeah. And I've just recently, side note, hurt my ankle really badly. And it uh, oh. was a crazy sprain and, and it's been like hurt before. And so I was like, I don't know, maybe this will give me a little extra... You know, something from attendance. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all into the coffee now. But it was me uh, the same way, like 30s. And then something had to, like, propel me into it. And for me, it was a mocha. And you was, like, just incredible coffee, I'm guessing. Yeah, I was in the land of coffee. And mm-hmm. um, the second time I, I got to Paris was
1: around the time that you and I met. I was going there for the second time. I went alone as opposed to um, with my wife the first time, now wife the first time. And um, I remember sending a postcard because people still did that at the time. I remember sending a postcard to my mom and saying, I'm at a Parisian cafe um, off the River scene. There's beautiful people all around me and I'm drinking this coffee and it's terrible. <laughs> and so it's like, basically I was saying like I was in the absolute perfect set. It was a beautiful, um, I was there right around Thanksgiving, but it didn't get cold yet. So it's like beautiful day. People mm-hmm. are out, you know, they're trying to get the last bit of sunshine before winter hits and all that. And I was like, this tastes like, you know, whatever. But then a couple of years later, then I got down to Columbia and maybe that coffee, which tends to be a little bit more mellow, mm-hmm. um, is my speed. Yeah, now, I Colombian think it's a coffee big... like I'll drink Colombian coffee now and it'll feel like very
0: smooth. But now I'm used to Italian coffee, which is more aggressive. Ooh, so, fancy. Yeah, yeah, I think fancy. that really does come down to like um, what, you know, obviously our palates change as well. Um, and then it's also the type of coffee you get because so many people are like, that's oh, just the same thing as whiskey or something else. There's all the different types of um, coffee. So that maybe you didn't like one, but you might love another. And I will say this my number one drink of all time now is old fashions and mm. that, that was... makes that makes two of us oh um, yeah yeah so when we connect in
1: person which we'll have to yes. it's um old fashions and manhattans they're tied to okay. me as yeah. far as like if i'm going to go have a drink with an old friend or something like that that's going to happen and then my standby is a gin and tonic or okay. any type of gin variant so yeah
0: and then the old fashioned as you know it matters on that whiskey um, like I learned about Old Forester and uh, mm-hmm. Four roses, and just I mean I know sure. what I'm dealing with now when it comes to what I want in there. So, anyways, this is not a podcast about liquor and coffee. It it's can a be. Podcast <laughs> about your book and that as well. Um, as you can your, tell, book,
1: I'm down for that.
0: Yeah, your book, which is also uh, you could, if you want, drink coffee and um, some liquor while you're reading it. Is bring your worth, uh, level up your creative power, value, and service to the world. I've read a chunk of it, Uh, not all of it because I'm honest, (laughs) but at the same time, I have so many questions uh, for you about the book, and I think that it's going to be helpful for just the listeners as well as my life in general right now, because I think you speak to a lot of things that a ton of us uh, struggle with every day, not just in entrepreneurship, but in our life and finding our own worth. Um, so I have a bunch of questions and a bunch of uh, things I want to talk about, but why don't you start off and tell the listeners what the book is about and how you, you know, found your journey to create it?
1: Yeah, thank you. That's 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 a warm welcome. I appreciate it. Um, so my background is journalism, and two degrees in journalism. I got them when I was really young. So I had my master's when I was like twenty-two about 2023 23 or so. So ambitious guy, as you can tell. Um, and my main goal was to start a magazine that was around the time that the media industry was crumbling. And so I did it around 2000. Um, and what I ended up doing going way back to when I was much younger was as in like a child was always being focused on both writing and technology. And so when I was younger, again I'm in my forties. So if you got to track backtrack, you know, two, three decades, when I was in college, people weren't looking at media and technology as connected. Now they're like completely connected. And so for me, I had to kind of ha- create my own path and hold both of them and say, okay, well I'm going to study journalism and computer science. And at a certain point I had to choose whether I was going to be, because I learned some programming languages and so forth. So am I going to be a tech guy that does a lot of writing or am I going to be a journalist that covers technology? And I chose the latter. And so I became a freelance writer full-time that turned into books, including the aforementioned Porn and Pong, How Grand Theft Auto, Tomb Raider, and Other Sexy Games Changed Our Culture, which was my first major book back in 2008. And so that Porn and Pong, as well as my now wife getting a fellowship up at Stanford, brought us to the Bay Area. And I was up there for three years. It seems like it was much longer because I yeah. met you. I have a lot of good friends that I'm still extremely close with that um, I met 10 years ago uh, in the Bay Area. I was only there for three years. I uh, got a chance to connect with Steve Jobs while he was there because I was at the the iPhone launch, you know, and so he was like right there, and then Whoa. of course he was he was dead like, you know, two, three years later.
0: I know, um, and I have a so question that, I, don't go, I want to go back to you for Steve Jobs later.
1: Okay, sure, sure. And so it's like, so there was that, um, and I was writing for, again, as a freelancer, so I was writing for Playboy and the New York Post, and essentially for about a year and a half, I was a New York Post Silicon Valley correspondent. So even though they were like, I think at the time, they're like the third largest newspaper in, in America. Um, they didn't have a whole lot of people in San Francisco. And I was already writing for The Post when, uh, before I moved to SF. And so I was talking to my editor. And I was like, hey, we're moving to San Francisco. He's like, great. And remember, this was the same time again. The iPhone was just coming out in 2007. The iPad came out in 2010 or so, 2009, I believe. And so all this stuff was happening at the same time. Um, I had friends who I'm still cool with, who became millionaires and some Mm. of them billionaires on paper overnight and we were just eating ramen noodles. So, I mean, you know, the deal, like you were there. So it's like, you saw like this thing just building and it's not until I left that I realized how privileged I was to have a front row seat, seat of that.
0: And so can can I I stop you right there? Cause that is an incredible, um, point that I didn't even realize until you just said it because, you know, at times in our, in our fond moments, when we look back at stuff that we are, you know, feel really special about, I do think of the time that we hung out and that 2009. So for me, it was like 2013 uh, of Hmm. just doing so many different interesting things, meeting so many interesting people. But at the same time, I don't think I've thought of it the way that you just said it until just now where it is a privilege It it was a lot of hard work because we were both working hard at different, you know, many different types of things. But at the same time, it was a special time. And it was so many things coming in and out of that city and so many things being created that, yeah, I just really appreciate that you said that because that really is something people should do more is reflect on on those moments. Yeah,
1: it's this that's that's really well, well said, Um, because it wasn't until. The reverence I have for it didn't happen until a little bit later. Um, And the further away I am from it, the more reverence I have, because again, I live in the Midwest now. And so I live in Toledo, Ohio. So we're right outside of Detroit. We're on the Michigan border. Um, There's entrepreneurship scene here. So I've lived here for about two years with my family. I do coaching here. I've done a lot of keynote talks. Like there is definitely something emerging here in Ohio. And it's interesting talking to folks here And now I'm talking to folks who are in their 20s or 30s or even people who are older, like as old as my my parents or even my grandparents who are getting or starting to understand entrepreneurship. And I'm able to tell them or share with them these stories that they weren't privy to. Mm. And so it wasn't until I started talking to other people where it's like, oh, yeah, Steve Jobs was right there. Oh, yeah. Like when my friend, when their their business went public, then they became millionaire overnight mm. but they didn't change you know and me being able to share those kind of stories and those are certain insights that um it's not even a middle america thing it's just it's really a silicon valley thing like it's just being there the, or not right yeah at that particular time i mean even when i um I'll be in San Francisco about a a month from now to do a a keynote talk for the American Society of Journalists and Authors. And so it's going to be writer focused, but still talking about creativity and bring your worth. So it'll be um, I don't know when it's going to be live, but it's going to be April 21st and you can go to ASJ.org to hear about it and and see if if you want to come through and say hi to me and grab the books. Um, But It's interesting going back there now, and I'm usually in SF probably a few times a year for business or other things, and I'll even talk to people there, and even they're not getting those experiences that you and I had. Do you understand? Because the Silicon Valley in San Francisco now isn't as accessible as it was 10 years ago. Now I sound like, oh man, but it's back. It's been 10 years. It doesn't feel like it's been 10 years. I mean, if yeah. I look at now, I have kids and all this other stuff. Like, I look at that and it's like, oh, yeah, like it's definitely been 10 years. It feels like longer. But if I think about how much the culture has changed, it feels like it's, it feels like it was yesterday, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, so I ended up um, uh, proposing to my now wife. She had finished her uh, fellowship. We knew we wanted to have kids. And, um, Most of our family, like part of my family, and most of her family lives in Southern California. And so, knowing we want to have kids, it's like, well, we want to have the support network and all that stuff. And then, the year we were about to go, we found out that San Francisco became the number one most expensive city in the world. Yeah.
0: It was uh, 2011,
1: 2010, 2011, we were deciding. And so it's like, yeah, we want to have kids too. We want to own a home and actually, you know, not eat cat food. So it's like,
0: let's, (laughs) let's leave. I didn't know that was one of the options, Um, but I will say that Seattle's getting pretty bad. Oh man, I heard. I heard. Yeah. I
1: mean, yeah, actually uh, Seattle was on a short list as far as places that we were checking out. And that was, this is a few, few years ago. I know it's just like, but, but I've heard, I didn't talk to you at the time, but I, I know other folks in Seattle. And then I'm hearing the same thing about Portland, where there's kind of this shift of energy, um, where San Francisco, I think today, they just announced it as the, the highest rent in America. And
0: I think it's $3,600 for one bedroom. Whatever. It's, it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I don't want to go on a <laughs> tangent for this, but That's, I will say okay. that um, when we were leaving, when I left, I decided to leave. Yeah. Part of it was the fact that, and we're going to get back to your book for listeners a, but uh, is this middle class just got destroyed like we were yeah. i don't even call us middle class I, don't, I hate terminology all i know is that me and max Griffin were making good money and salary jobs and we were struggling and i was like what's going on you know they're like you said there's the aforementioned bazillionaires all around us you and i both and just the right place right time a lot of them doing the same type of work that we were doing Yes. And they had this, they were taking over blocks of the, the whole city. And then there's the Tenderloin. Then there's the Tenderloin, Tenderloin then Tender Knob and Knob Hill. And it's like this little area where how do you survive? Because even the stuff that's like in the not so good section was expensive. And we were like, well, where do they want us to go? The ocean? <laughs> like, right, I know kind of, you're kind of
1: Help me with the geography. So I guess there's a Tenderloin. And I think of, like, um, I used to live on Sutter. So I think of, like, you know, I know that walk from Japantown to downtown. <laughs> I know that walk really well. So you're yeah. going through, not the center of the Tenderloin, not as far as uh, a little bit south. But I'm assuming the Tenderloin's there. And then the Tender Knob, which I've never heard of. So I guess that's oh. kind of the, the blended area. So I guess you're going further north to Leavenworth and further north
0: up there towards up California the and
1: all those. Up yeah. the hill.
0: Okay, up the hill, which is Knob Hill in, in San Francisco, right. Was at the time we're talking again 10 years ago or whatever, maybe eight years ago, was a little bit cheaper, uh, but a little more expensive than the, obviously the Tenderloin. So, uh... my point is that the whole area just felt like it started becoming more like just expensive or just super, super cheap. And the middle part, there was no middle part, it just seemed like that was it, and so yeah, I just feel like we were priced out and I'm not sure if it's the same way, but it sounds like it is, which is crazy. Oh yeah. It's even, it's even worse now. I mean, I was working with folks um, who were
1: not paid really well or had their own well to do businesses who were getting priced out of their apartments based on um, the Hayes Act, which you're probably familiar
0: mm-hmm, with. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So the, um, my, my understanding, which didn't affect me when I was there. Um, but the idea that a landlord could find a reason for you to go, and the, and if if they hit these particular things on a checklist, then they could jack up jack up your rent, yeah. and it's so like you know my wife and I own property. I'm pretty sure that wouldn't happen if we were still in the Bay Area. Um, you know we're able to go out to eat <laughs> you know what I mean? like simple yeah, stuff yeah. like that you know or our, our, you know our kids don't don't worry about clothes you know what i mean yeah. stuff like that um, um and so so yeah so having that having that mentality and knowing how we want to start our lives together and also too like um super brief background um i'm originally from south jersey i was born in atlantic city uh lived a few different places in south jersey um, My mom got remarried, essentially, and then uh, my stepfather ended up getting an opportunity here in Ohio, actually. And so we moved to Ohio for a spell when I was just a little bit older than my son. My eldest son is about to turn six. So I was a little bit older than than my eldest son. Lived in Ohio for a spell, and then actually ended up growing up in Lansing, Michigan. Um, Went to school in Detroit for undergrad, came back home for a spell and then got my master's at Northwestern over in Chicago. And that's where I met my wife, Um, ended up moving. Uh, She ended up uh, being in med school and had to do a residency. And so she had to travel across the country. I could not come with her. And so I'm like, you know what? I had this book idea about the history of sexuality in video games. And my main reason for saying in Chicago is gone now because she left because she had to Mm. go and do her thing. So where do I want to live. And it was between San Francisco Tokyo and uh, New Orleans and I looked at my bank account and I'm like, I should move to New Orleans.
0: <laughs> so I yeah. moved to New
1: Orleans. I was there for a year. I wrote a, the bulk of what will become Porn and Pong there. And then I actually left with Katrina and it was a really intense experience. And that could be probably another hour of the podcast. Um, but that, but my wife had already settled down in Southern California. Now wife settled down in California, Southern California. I moved there to be closer to her lived in Southern California for um, probably about two or three years. And then she got a fellowship up at Stanford. And so that kind of goes full loop. Mm. And so I'm not, I'm not afraid of change and I'm really interested in quality of living. And I've been adaptable enough to, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is between being a journalist and being a traveler, both in where I live and also with the place I've seen in the world, I'm really sensitive to cultures. I knew that what San Francisco was becoming was not where I wanted to be as far as starting a family. Right. And Uh, I have good friends that have families there, like, and they, they prosper for my wife and I, I was like, this, this, maybe in 2008, this was it right now. This ain't it. Yeah, And I was like, and the cost of living too. I'm like, we're going to pay a premium for this. And then we're not going to have the life that we had in 2000. Like even, Again, my background is journalism. So I get vibes. I get I, I listen to people. I see patterns. Like that's what I've been trained to do. So I saw lots of society shifting and it felt and, like it was time to go. Yeah.
0: And I would say that, like when you when it comes down to it, and we're gonna get into this in a minute, when it comes to the, like quality of life stuff, um, caring for yourself and understanding yourself, it really comes down to, you know, what yeah, like you said, what what premium do you want to pay on your happiness? Because being like spending all your money on rent means you don't have a lot of happiness. Now money doesn't buy happiness. We know that, but choice, money buys choices lots of times. And if you have no choice, and as you said, the aforementioned cat food is your dinner, then yeah, it's not as happy times, but I know that like, I have family still in upstate New York and there's different places. Uh, I have family around the country and they're like easily buying houses or have like, apartment, you know, beautiful apartments that they're not worried about money-wise. And then the rest of it is, again, having the things they need to have a good and, you know, happy life. So I think that's part of it. It's just people, um, you know, where do your priorities lie in that? And so that makes a lot of sense. And also to your point on the journalism and moving around, like at an early age and and like just in general your whole life, I think that adaptability is huge for um, just understanding yourself and understanding your potential because I have if I wouldn't have done some of the moving or that I did or seen the different places or countries or many jobs like we both have had um, I don't think I would have accomplished as much because by pushing yourself out there uh, into different scenarios and some are definitely uncomfortable then you get to start testing those limits and I feel like me being, you know, an SF at that time, I learned so much about what I could do, if that makes sense, yes. um, that I that I would have never, ever done if I just stayed in upstate New York or if I would have um, just been in um, Seattle because I was here for a bunch of time. I needed that push. And I think a lot of times, you know, people just get out of the environment that you're in. And I think that luxury that we had of um, luxury and also hard work we both come from journalism and we, that's how we kind of bonded in the beginning and this idea of like reading the situation and seeing what else I should do and, and reporting on things. I think that all kind of comes together with also the travel that I did. And it just felt like I just started understanding myself more by, by moving around. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I definitely relate to that. And um, I mean, I was one of the, to fast forward, That was one of the things that went to the decision to move to the Midwest where, you know, we were in San Diego. So that's where we ended up moving to when we left um, San Francisco and we got married. And then shortly after, we uh, found out that we were going to have a baby boy. And so um, we had um, our son about a year after we got married. And um, at that same time, I was exploring... um, Startups, so of course, I leave San Francisco and then I want to explore <laughs> entrepreneurship. It's like, of course, that makes sense. And so um end up leaving and I came up with an idea called So Quotable. And it's a simple app where if you and I are having a conversation like at a bar, on the street, wherever, and you say something really interesting, then I'm able to capture it in the phone. Um, and then it does automatic geotagging which at the time, you remember, this is like five, six years ago. That was hot. That was the hot thing. That was thing. hot. That was hot. You know, this is back with like when Foursquare had a, you know, huge evaluation and all that. Like it was just. Yeah. It
0: was People, we can check into places and they'll know you're here and then we'll
1: give you right. rewards. Exactly. Like when Foursquare and um, Dodgeball and then they broke off into Swarm and all that. Like this was that whole era. Now I sound like sound like an old man. We were no, talking no, like 2012, 2013. You're yeah, just trying to give context, right? And so around that time, that was the hot thing. And so automatically doing the location and then um, you could share it onto Twitter, which was the hot thing at the time, um, or it could be in a private thing that only you and the person you're talking with could access. And I love having conversations. And particularly with my friends and I, friends again, still in San Francisco or they've moved about, but I met them there. And we'd have these amazing conversations or we'd be cracking these jokes and all that stuff. And I'm like, it'll be great if we can capture this somehow. Mm. And you know, remember that thing when we talked about when we were vacationing in Vegas, and you said that crazy thing, and to be able to have a record of that.
0: I um, think you told me about this app, by the way. Did, were you working yeah. on it when we met?
1: I was, I was, I was going in that direction.
0: Yeah, I was. Okay, here's what it is. I remember that yeah. we were at a bar, and it was these blue lights. You know how you that, that was right
1: when? Here? No, that was when you and I met.
0: Was that the first time uh-huh. That kind of weird bar with the blue lights? It was up in, um, I want to
1: say, I want to call it, call it North beach. It's in that area. It was Not fancy, too-
0: though, right. And it was like, yeah. And it was, um, um, I thought you were talking about at that time we first met then. Maybe that's crazy. Maybe,
1: maybe, so maybe, maybe we actually met in 2010. Cause I didn't really get serious about it until a little bit later. Um, and so, so I started um, working on it, and then I had some support. Some folks are going to help me out with the technology side, and I was like, I'm going to be like the visionary for it and you know, kind of build from there because I was like, even though I knew programming from back in the day, I hadn't programmed anything in like 10 years, maybe longer. Mm-hmm. I was one of those kids that grew up programming, but it's like I have not programmed anything since I was a teenager, you know, or back in college. When basic, I was computer science. Right? basic programming? But, um, yeah, um, starting with Basic, and then it was, um, again, it's like old school, like Fortran, Cobol, um, Visual Basic was my jam, which was oh, like I the hot stuff. stuff. Yeah, yeah man, it was. Visual Basic 4.0, I used to make video games in it. You're like, for real, for real. Like, I I remember working on my own version of Zelda, you know oh, what I mean? So, I like want to see that. After the I call, I can find it. Good God, like oh, I want to see the, it. <laughs> I, we're talking like you know, we're just getting to the hard disk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? Oh,
0: dude, I had the cassette player. I had the cassette player. Oh, nice. You know, People I mean? don't have the no idea the, about this. But I'll, tell you, I'll tell you real quick, listeners. Yeah, yeah there was yeah. a Tandy I had the Tandy color computer. All right, hmm. which means Tandy made a computer. Yep, that happened. And I got it at a Radio Shack, and that shit had a cassette player. <laughs> that you had to push play and record on when you wanted to save your game. All right? That's that was it. It was recording your game on a cassette player and then when you played it back, you had to push play and then also do something in the computer. Dude, man, like for me, I was the parallel to that except mine was I'm I was a Commodore
1: guy. So oh, I, had I had the a- the Commodore Hello? Vic 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know and i think we're around the same age so it was like yeah. me like again uh, probably a little bit older than my son so it was probably like 7 and just banging it out and as soon as i figured out um there was a a magazine do you remember the, the magazine i think it was was it
0: bite is the one where they had the games in the back you had a program in it? that's the one
1: i'm yeah. not sure if that was bite though no there was a the magazine
0: bite? there was a magazine called
1: ahoy like oh, like Jimmy. Jimmy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's, it's just Ahoy. Like, okay. I, now I want to Google it. But it's yeah. called Ahoy. And it, um, it was uh, Commodore VIC-20. And um, and Orson Scott Card used to write for it, you know, who, of course, now is known for um, more for his sci-fi novels. And as people know about him, people have mentioned him. And I'm like, you mean the programming guy that used to make video games? They're like, no, the sci-fi writer. So I don't know sci-fi as well, but I know the programming side. And so I had a tape recorder for the Vic-20 mm, back in yeah. that period of time.
0: The but time yeah, I so.
1: Had one too, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but yeah, so so going way back, but it was rusty. And so um, so to set up the scene, and this actually all, all goes back to Bring Your Worth, to set up the scene, um, at the same time I got invited to go to the TED conference. And I'm really into big ideas I'm into intense conversations. Ted is the place for that. And watching the Ted talks online is awesome. I could do it all day seeing them and then being able to interact with the speakers afterwards. is just like incredible. Like it's a whole different level. I'll be going to the TED conference in a few weeks. I'm already like, I'm hype about it. Yeah. It's like something I look forward to whenever I'm able to go uh, in the year. So anyway, I got invited to Ted had a wonderful experience, transformative. And, um, I was just building with them, as they say, building relationships with them. And as I was working on researching So Quotable, I actually was planning on writing a book about the things as far as capturing experiences and how that takes you away from enjoying the experience, which is commonplace now. So this is back in 2011, 2012. And I was planning on self-publishing the book at the same time that So Quotable came out cause I was doing all this research on it. So being very meta about it. We're being like, yep, I know I'm becoming a co-founder of this thing, but I also realized that I might be doing damage from people being fully, fully present when they're having their conversations. Cause they're trying to document it, which of course is a big issue now. Um, but this is again, six, seven years ago and people weren't talking about it as much. They're just kind of doing, and I ended up talking with Ted and just mentioning in passing, they were starting a publishing unit and they were like, well, depending on how your book progresses, maybe we can publish it. And I'm like, oh, okay. And just super casual, kept the conversation going. And we went for it. And so we ended up publishing it. I mentioned in one of the chapters, I mentioned So Quotable, um, which I think I had a different name. I think it was called quote unquote at the time. But I mentioned So Quotable, uh, the original name of it. And so that was moving forward. Found out my baby boy was coming. Uh, My wife, you know, my wife and I found a place. We settled down in San Diego, white picket fence. The baby's coming. We're good. I got my support team for the app. It's like, all right, the book's going to, book's book just came out. So Quota will be out by the end of the year. And then baby boy comes beautiful experience. My wife goes back to work. She's a doctor. So she goes back to doing pediatrics Mm -hmm. the same week that she goes back to work and this is my first kids. So I don't know what the hell I'm doing because I'm the stay-at-home dad. So it's like, same week or the week before she goes back to work, my support team de- disappears with the code. What? And I, I have no app. Like, dead signal. Done. Dead signal. Done. I talk about it in uh, The Bite sized Entrepreneur, so I talk about that experience. But, yeah, so, so suddenly it's like, as I describe in the book, it's like I have my four-month-old, at you know, three and a half-month-old in, in one hand, and then um, you know, I, I publish a book with TED, which is like for me, with the work that I do, is like Mount Rushmore. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like. Um, uh, TED and it's, um, I'm trying to think of some other organizations that are on that level as yeah. far as with media and future thinking. I can think of a few, but they're pretty obscure. But, you know, it's it's on that Mount Rushmore. I just did a book with them talking about this app. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Not it's there. Like, I have to deliver. Like, I have to deliver. Like, thousands of people. Like, it, the book did decent, too. So it wasn't like a little book that just came out. Like, it yeah, did yeah. decent because TED did their push and I did my push. And I already had a little bit of a reputation and so it wasn't a quiet book. And I'm like, okay, I, I, but the app's not gonna come out. And so I had to make a choice. And so what I decided to do is um, I wanted, because of my own background, and we can get into that if you like, um, I had challenges in my childhood and had complicated relationships with both of my fathers. The one that raised me, my stepfather, and the one that had me, you know, my biological father. And so for me, I'm like, all right, if I'm going to be a dad, then, and I always wanted to have kids. So it's like, if I'm going to be a dad. Then I'm going to be present for him mm. uh, no matter what's going on. And, you know, who who cares if my support team left or my wife is back to work or whatever. It's like, I got to do this for, for him and for me. And so from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., it'll be all him. Very little work, if any. Um, and I don't know if you've been around kids, but they're very active.
0: Especially if they start to move. I'm very much uh, averse to children. (laughs) (laughs) I
1: I appreciate that. Uh, But I'm in the opposite camp. That's okay. Yeah.
0: I also appreciate your uh, dedication because I grew up with, uh, you know, my father not around as much uh, or, you know, having issues and um, you pay for it later on. So, yeah, I appreciate your dedication there.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I think it's that thing of, we all have different
0: reactions
1: to that, um, and that was kind of my reaction. Where I'm like, okay, well, number one, I I like kids, so it's like I want to have kids around. And I was like, well, number two, like you know, um, I didn't agree with all the choices that my father's made, mm-hmm. so it's like, okay, so then what? You know, it's kind of like um, I'm a big Brene Brown fan who, you know, she talks about um, shame and guilt and 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 thinking about um, things from a sociological perspective, and she says you have to. You can't judge ju- you can't judge the people that are in the arena. So I couldn't judge my dads if I wasn't actually willing to be a dad. Do you mm-hmm. understand what I'm saying? So it's like, okay, well, you're judging them.
0: Here's yeah. a baby.
1: <laughs> what are you gonna do now? And yeah, so, well, you do now. so the rubber and the, that's the universe, exactly, which we can definitely get into. But but to to kind of get to my point, um, he He would wake up at clockwork at six am. And then my wife would would wrap up her work and get things settled and all that by six pm. And so from six am. to six pm, it was his time. And we listened to audiobooks, like I had him listening to the forty eight laws of power and all that stuff because I still wanted to absorb this stuff. and he's like five months old. So I'm really proud of that where we didn't allow, I didn't allow my brain to atrophy but you know also wanted to go ahead and, and make sure he was exposed to great things too so did all that but th- but I still had to make a living as a journalist um I still had to promote my books and now I had to learn how to program
0: so and you did that so, for yourself then i'm not i'm not flash forwarding but
1: how yeah did that i did
0: that myself yeah, yeah so
1: starting september of that year 2013 yeah because my son was just born, September of two thousand thirteen. My wife went back to work. Um, we have the same birthday, pretty much. Minus the twenty fifth. think yours is around the same time. Yeah, I believe so. September twenty sixth. Okay, minus the twenty fifth. Yeah. Oh, okay. And so I remember it was my birthday, and it was I was around that same week that my wife was going back to work, and then I got this news that the Calvary wasn't coming. Um, And so I started from scratch and I pulled on my network, someone from San Francisco and said, how the hell did I do this? So they recommended Mm -hmm. books. Um, None of them did that, did it for me, um, which was frustrating because I was asking around how much would it cost to program it? And they're like, yeah, like $200 an hour. You can hire someone. And I'm like, actually it was higher than that. I think it was like 400. And I was like, you, like, I just had a kid. I just bought a house. Like, no. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I'll do it myself. So I rolled up my sleeves. And so what i'm happening was from Monday through Thursday, and I believe it was Friday as well. Um, but she had some flexibility on Friday with my wife's schedule. But um I'd wake up at three fifteen in the morning and work from three fifteen to six.
0: Wait, wait, and rewind three fifteen. That is a crazy time. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can see my face. I'm, I'm not. Yeah. I'm, no, I'm not no, kidding. no. And I don't yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. In a, in a, <laughs> a, hey, you're a crazy person. I mean, have you always been a morning person? I've never been a morning easier? person. Oh. So
1: this was, this was, no, I was not a morning person. But, but by the, to give insight as far as having a kid and being the primary caretaker, by the end of the day, you're exhausted. Mm. No matter what. Right. You could have a good kid. You know, you can have a tough kid, it doesn't yeah. matter. Like you have a kid, you're tired and you're tucked in. Um, and so I got up at, started getting up at like five, but that would only give me an hour. And I was just beginning my groove when my son would wake up without an alarm clock, he'd wake up like clockwork at 6 a.m. Mm. So I pushed it to four and then I kept pushing it to 3.15. Now I've been a lifetime night owl. And so I realized that 3.15, which you might do some late nights too, I don't know. 3.15 feels almost the same as 2 a.m. And so I was able to engage with myself and say, okay, it's kind of like me doing a late night. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the sun wasn't up for another three, four hours.
0: Yeah. And it is all a mental thing, right? Because like, I think when so. I get into it, I get, definitely have the late nights too. And I'm, which we'll probably talk about off the podcast, but I'm working on programming my first game. Um oh, wow. I've been I've worked on a couple of little games, but this one I'm gonna try to get to the or I'm gonna put on the app store. And oh. uh those are those kind of things where like your app or anything else you work on that so it's creative passion for you, the hours just go away. You know, like it's all of a sudden two in the morning and this is often for me. But you're right about that and the fact that two in the morning is also three in the morning. It's just when you're doing it. So if you're getting up early. And you think about it in that way. For people listening, you can re-engage your brain that way. Is, is what you're saying?
1: Like yeah. it's a, it's like you're you're you're
0: up you're up late, but you're up early. Yeah, totally. And
1: I think that's. And I think it's even easier, um, if you're like not married, or if you don't have kids, or even Boy. if you don't have a dog or whatever. Like it's easier to do that programming. Um, for me it was a little bit tougher just because but I, that's the thing and i talk about this in the bite Side entrepreneur which i'll talk about in a second but but in that book i talk about that where i was more productive and did more after i became a parent than i did in the previous 15 years of my career and i'm not a slouch like you can go to you go to you've known me like oh yeah I, you do some I stuff, do stuff. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Just like yourself. You know, I do stuff, but you look at my output from 2013 to now. Um, I've done um, six books in the last two and a half years.
0: I caught up. Two- I was like, all of a sudden I saw the books and then I saw the TED talk and then I saw ink. How long have you been at ink, by the way, as a side note? Well, it, um, It's a freelance thing.
1: It is. Yeah. So I'm a columnist for them. It'll be four years this summer.
0: I just got, I got to recommend that magazine to everybody. I love magazines still. I've, I fight for them. I'm a fellow journalist. I'm a fellow magazine lover. And it's just crazy how I think fast company and Inc. still around. And every time I pick up that magazine, I get another piece of information that I really, really could be helpful for not just entrepreneurship, but just like, the way you look at life and stuff. So, um, yeah, I yeah. mean, and, and that's why it's been a good, like, second
1: home. Yeah. To go and say, okay, well, you know, this is—I have a, a regular column. You can go to inkdamonbrown dot com, and then I think I have, lots <laughs> between four and five hundred columns.
0: Damn! Yeah, you are productive, yeah. and oh, you're even more productive yeah. now. Is what you're saying?
1: Yeah, exactly. So. So to to finish this and then and then kind of get to the climax of of this part, um. I did that for from again, like I said, like late September to um, early January, and it was some some rough moments for sure. Because I'm also learning to be a parent, um, so all that stuff's happening. And of course, I'm married too, so still trying to be a good a good spouse. Um, and keep food on food on the table because I'm still making a living and um I was writing for Al Jazeera America and some other major publications at the time and just juggling all that stuff and again trying to keep food on the table and keep my my business alive and also do this thing because remember I didn't have any traction as entrepreneur there's just a big side hustle and so it was complicated to, to juggle all those balls by the time that of the end of the year like four months in um I almost had the beta done and I hit a major snag and I, and I almost quit. I remember, I can, I can't remember the details, but I remember the feeling, even years later, I remember the feeling. And it just being four in the morning, actually it was probably closer to five. I know my son's going to be up soon. And it was like the fourth day, I'm trying to figure out this part. And it was just like, I don't know how to crack this. And, um, I was able to go through that, worked it out. Um, I think I found a workaround around it. A week later, I got a call from Ted and I threw my hat in to do a TED talk. And they actually sent me an email. And they said, Great, we'll see you March 13th and we'll have our first meeting in a week. And I'm like, and I had to read it twice. I'm like, Meeting for what? And they wanted me to do a TED talk. Which is like, you know, honorific for me. Like it's just
0: again. Oh yeah. I jumped in by the way and spoiled that for our listeners.
1: No, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, there's a lot of
0: a lot of back details. But
1: yeah, so and the TED Talk was inspired by me doing this app. And then I've done TED Talks since, but at the time I was like, I might just get one TED Talk in my life. Hmm. So I better go and get this app done. And the app came out and I was able to finish it and it came on because, you know, there's a delay between when yeah, you yeah. submit it, particularly back in the day. It was like three, four five, six years ago when you submit it and when it goes out, it got live on the app store five days before I went to TED. Ooh, it Even gets me emotional now because it's like, yeah, that's barely, awesome. barely barely got it in there. The TED talk went really great. If you go to um, if you go to my website, you'll see my first TED talk. It was in March of 2014. And it's on um, on uh, being present, which again is nature of the book and something I was talking about with the app. Now, what brings all this full circle is that the app came out, had a nice little buzz, was popular among the journalists, of course, because they were able to document things, and among my friends and and it being this cool kind of landmark where it's like, yeah, I made an app, and that was kind of a cool cool thing, something different to do. Um, and a friend of a friend ended up reaching out, and it, and he was like, "Hey, um, myself and an artist, um, we came up with this concept, and it's about connecting people for hugs, and it's oh, an app right. that we want to do. Yeah, so it's an app we want to do, and we're gonna call it Cuddler. Now, again, to give you historical context, that was Grindr was hot, particularly in San Francisco. It was Grindr. Actually, Grindr was more LA, but I'm getting all nerdy because the research I did. But Grindr was hot in LA. Tinder, of course, was hot in San Francisco. Um, and so very much a West Coast vibe, but was starting to hit New York for both of them. And so it's like Cuddler was the platonic version of that. And um, so it's and just Huggers. people connecting for hugs or something. That's it. Like, just yeah, hugs. Yeah, yeah. For cuddling. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I say hugs just as a shorthand, but yeah, for cuddling. Yeah. And I was like, this sounds crazy, but. This sounds interesting too and but how did you, you get a member though real quick how did you get approached sure so it's actually a good friend of mine was friends with this guy
0: mm. and
1: um the guy ended up being charlie williams and he actually was one of the programmers for shazam if you remember the the music app right right so they're, they're doing well now but he was um he was part of that that first group and so I don't think he was part of Shazam anymore, but he was doing his own thing and he's based over in the UK. I believe he still is. And um, and so he had reached out and we we're we we're like a couple degrees away from each other. We both lived in Chicago for a period of time. And so that's where we might have we we're talking. We might have met like 15, 20 years ago back when I was at Northwestern. So it's kind of weird where you have people that uh, cycle in and out of your life. Mm-hmm. So That's what happened. But it was like solely so, so like a cold call connection from a friend. And so we started talking over the summer and he was like, well, you launched apps and all that stuff, maybe you can help us launch. You know media, you're a journalist, which is the nice thing about being a journalist, like you know how to launch things because you know what journalists need and what's interesting to the media and you're good again with a with public pulse. And the more we started talking over the summer, the more excited I got about it because I realized that and again, I became a co-founder of this. So if I'm droning on too much, remember this was like my life for a long oh, yeah, time. yeah yeah. So please stop me and, and jump in anytime if I'm if I'm getting too too weird or inside baseball about it. This is like was like my life for a period of time. So you end up having um you have Tinder and you have Grindr. Those are intimately hooking up with people, strangers in a superficial way. Mm-hmm. Right? Right? that's how it's usually used at least people have gotten married from it but we're not talking about those those are the exceptions then you have facebook which are which is based on people that you know perhaps intimately but you're having a superficial relationship right mm. because facebook is not deep like it's 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 like this deep now you might have an emotional post on there or maybe someone passed away or something like that but those are again the exceptions where's the space for having An intimate connection with people that you don't know because there's a space a gap where it's not being satisfied yeah and that is the middle area right and so i was geeking out on this remember like with porn and pong which i didn't get into porn and pong i spent five years working on it and so and i was still in my 20s and so it's like so i was like deep diving into technology sex intimacy why we connect Porn and Pong began in 1972 with the invention of, um, with the um, early launch of Atari, as well as the beginning of the modern porn industry. And so they happened the same summer. Mm -hmm. So Nolan Bushnell and Atari and um, Linda Lovelace and Deep Throat, same summer, same summer, just on two different coasts. Linda Lovelace was over in Times Square, which there's a, um, a show out now called the deuce which is about that period of time on mm-hmm. hbo haven't seen it yet but i look forward to seeing it and then but there's classic books about it that i cite in there important pong and then you have in california and sunnyvale which is when you know nolan bushnell started well before he did chuck e cheese and became the the legend that he is now and so i had researched like 35 at the time 35 years of this history and so for me i was like wait, there's this big gap here. And I was yeah. pulling on all this history. That's one of the reasons why in, in the new book, Bring Your Worth, I, I say that there's no wasted time in your past because I could have said, I spent five years on this little book. It did not become a bestseller. I did not become a millionaire or even a thousandaire based on it. Yeah. But based on that, all this research came forward like 10 years later, suddenly all this stuff is getting unlocked and I was able to take those skills and I got so interested in it that I became a co founder. And so I became the, the third co founder of Cuddler. And um, I can get into some of the details as far as the launch and so forth. But the short version of it is that um, I came up with a strategy for the launch. That was my main thing, as well as how we're going to connect with the media. Uh, we launched on September 17th, 2014. By the next day, we were on the morning shows and the late night talk shows and on the cover of uh, Playboy.com, Cosmo.com, and so forth. We didn't do any outreach to these outlets. We just strategically hit a couple outlets that we knew would understand. Yeah. We also end up doing um, a manifesto on Medium, which was a hot thing at the time. It just mm-hmm. started. Right? I think Medium started like a month before we did it. But Medium, we did a, a piece on Medium the day before our launch, 1,500 words or so where I worked with Charlie. And what I was afraid of is that people would think that it was a dating app. That was like my greatest fear, because it wasn't. And so we did a manifesto. So if if anyone in the media said, this is what they're trying to do, we could point to the manifesto and say, nope, yeah. this is what, right? And so that ended up being part of the strategy. And then we also did an um, exclusive Q&A um, with a journalist I knew and with charlie for salon.com and so we talked about which was a hot thing at the time too again it's san francisco and so talking about that those are the only two things that we did and that was
0: enough to make well, this huge buzz th- it was the only things you did but it also and i was going to get into this is the uh a lot of stuff when it comes to in quote success because we'll talk about what that means to each person separately but uh yeah. um, it is about this kind of discoverability and distribution. And that's why people have publishers for games or books, because that's someone who's like helping you get something out there. And it doesn't matter what the actual content is. It's like people could like it or not like it, but if they don't know about it, that's the worst sin in the world for yes. someone like us who create things. So I think that you did a really smart job with that. Um, you and your co-founders. And I think that that's still true to this day. It's like, You do something, and sometimes it's luck of the draw, universe, fate, whatever, but a lot of times it does come down to those, like, right place, right time, right medium, pun intended, um, where you can literally get a huge um, discoverability boost. It's not just a boost like promotion. It's like, oh, if enough eyeballs see something, they will obviously tell people if they like it. So. I think that, yeah, you had a lot of good uh, things going for you when it comes to, like, people seeing what you were making. Yeah, and I think a big part of it, too, is um, you can call it luck. Um, I think a big part of it is
1: timing. And I remember having this moment. I get chills now because with the success of Cuddler, and I can get into the metrics of it briefly, but with the success of Cuddler, that enabled me to have a life I have now career-wise. Right, right, right yeah bike option. entre- options. yeah, the bike as entrepreneur and now bring your worth, which is a follow- up to the biketes as entrepreneur, they would literally not exist without Cuddler. And I remember having this moment again, I'm getting goosebumps now thinking about it like five, six years later. I remember this moment. it was August of of that year, 2014. Um, my son had just turned one and we had a lot of stuff going on. And Charlie, who was, you know, the most active co-founder and essentially was like the CEO of the company. Um, and I would be closer to the CEO slash CMO. And then we had an artist who had a bigger role, but then backed away once the press started getting really hot because it got really intense for several months. But anyway, I was talking with Charlie and we had some stuff going on and we had some traveling and stuff. And he was like, you know what? I know we're looking at launching in September, but maybe we can push it to October, November. And I was like, well, let me sleep on it because I'm doing a strategy. I'm like, let me sleep on it and see. And I had this moment. I'm like, no, whatever whatever is happening, we need to do it now. And yeah. it wasn't a matter of fear. But again, I noticed one of my strengths are, is patterns. Like I see patterns. And so patterns in people, patterns in situations, patterns, mm. patterns in culture. Like it's just things that just kind of rise to the surface for me. And I'm like, based on this pattern, getting all mathematical, based on this pattern, whatever vibe or wave we're going to go into, we need to do it now. Yeah. And so I pushed for us to to launch. um, It was actually, again, a week before my birthday. And we were actually going to launch the week of or a couple weeks after my birthday. We launched. I told you what happened. By the time that week rolled around, I remember it was my birthday. It was the September 25th. A week later, that morning when I woke up, we were the number one app in five different countries, including America and Canada. We had 100,000 users. We had 10,000 completed
0: cuddles. Yeah. Oh, completed cuddles. That's a cool way to hear it. Yeah. Statistics. Yeah. Yeah. I like stats. Well, did you read the book on uh, the guy who made OKCupid? I'm sure you'd love that book. I didn't know he wrote a book blow you your mind right now. I'll find the name um, of it before we get off the call. Oh, I um, love it. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. I know. Sure. It's like, I'm as nerdy as uh, you are about this stuff. Mm. It's called Dataclism. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Love, sex, race, and identity. What our online lives, uh, tell us, I think. Um, yeah, it's incredible. And it has a ton of data from the actual website. Um, So you learn a lot about male female relationships online and it's really great. And I want to sidestep a little bit and, and kind of go off of something you just said, you were talking about, um, you know, having these, having the set of a journalist and kind of like reading the pulse of stuff uh, and the uh, pulse of people and the kind of the feel of how things go. Um, My current job is a social media video producer, marketing type person for uh, a game company and so we're an indie developer and we're working on our first game but when it comes to like what we should be doing right like what's what should we be doing on twitter and and how should we be doing it how should we interact with instagram and should we even do facebook which by the way is generally no for me (laughs) Um, all that stuff is stuff that i learned from when we were working like when we met and that time period of this like heightened journalism you know the tech industry and sf was so alive and again we'll talk on another podcast about those days because it could definitely take two hours but um that i think it helped me hone my skills there and like i spoke to earlier like see my potential but also it's just very interesting on how the journalism that we both went to school for and got degrees in has really kind of paid off in other ways than I didn't think, because again, I'm using what you just said in a video game company. So I'm listening to what, you know, is happening in the industry as well as online and which people apps people are using. And I understand people like when we, it's, it's in your book, but understanding your true self, which we'll get to in a minute, cause we're <laughs> running out of time. Uh, I think, that is the hugest part of it. Like when you have a brand, when you have, um, something you're creating, whatever it is that you're trying to show to the world, it's understanding people is a huge part of it because those are the people who are going to read or watch or buy your thing. And I feel like, um, hard work as well as kind of just how I am and how you are lucky. The fact that we have that in us, because it makes even the different things that i didn't think i'd use that skill for not easier but i can understand it more does that make sense it does it makes perfect sense
1: and um i was part of the leadership of the american society of journalists and authors the the group i'm going to be coming to sf in a month to speak on speak to and um that was one of the biggest benefits of being i was a board member so being a member of the board was given that perspective and saying I've again. I have two degrees in journalism, but at the time, I I was just getting into entrepreneurship and all these other things. And it's like, and I just spoke at TED and all these other things, and and being able to say we have a as journalists we tend to undervalue our skill set and we identify with the journalism versus identifying with the skill set. There you and go. So, you understand? And then yep. it gets even deeper for some of the, particularly for some of the older folks that I work with. Who, for you and I, we saw the transition with the dot-com bust and, and blogging and all that stuff. Like, we were a part of that. But if you're a generation older,
0: mm. you already spent 20 years making a living just with the New York Post. Right. You and made a living around those things that worked then, and that's what you're doing, and that's kind of it, right? And then you're like, right, and then you're 40 or you're 50 or, in
1: some cases, 60 and you've already made 40 years of your career the middle-class journalist or whatever, and then suddenly newspapers are dying. Suddenly, you know, Gannett or Knight Ritter or whomever is, like, consolidating everything, and you don't have a job anymore, you're trying to figure out how to make a living, or you're getting priced out of the market because they're doing blog posts that are a penny a, a penny a slot. Like, so helping people with that transition. But you're absolutely right. Like, I think the power of us studying journalism, like, that's... I, I, I'll go to the mountaintop with that, not just because I have journalism degrees, but more like understanding the power of that skill set that we learn as journalists. And so we ended up um, riding that wave with uh, Cuddler. And within about three or four weeks, there were Cuddler clones, yeah. which is always a sign. So some of them were knockoffs, other ones actually were like Uber for Cuddlers. And so, cause Uber was like the thing at the time. So it's like, it's an Uber for cuddles. And so people were like trying to pay for cuddles and we avoided that. Again, we, I like culture and I like strategy. So we consciously did not make it a financial platform. Um, uh, We made it more like a peer-to-peer thing because as soon as you start exchanging
0: money to connect with people, Mm -hmm. then you're getting into different territory. Again, I've done my research. (laughs) And then you change like you'll read in the – well, no, he won't say that in the book, actually. But what I have experienced, because I use all these different apps and websites and stuff, and with OkCupid, uh, after that guy left, maybe it's after he left. I'm not sure um, why it happened, but there's definitely – that site and other sites out there where it is that pay to play model. And it's right. crazy that you would like um, gatekeep uh, based on monetary, you know, these relationships, it's not crazy because obviously it makes a lot of sense financially for them, but it just doesn't feel very welcoming to, you know, Joe Schmo or Jane Schmo or whatever. Like why would I want to spend money to have these connections that I could, you know, have without it. So yeah, I don't I mean, like the, yeah. the money being around that situation. So
1: yeah, I mean to kind of put a um to, to wrap this part up, like that was I'm glad you brought that up because we actually bootstrapped Cuddler and I bootstrapped when I was a solopreneur, I bootstrapped um, So Quotable. And that enabled us a whole lot of freedom. So key yeah. and we did talk to some VCs because I mean we had the number one app in several countries. So oh, yeah, of course yeah, yeah. Those, those conversations happened like regularly. And and again, my co-founder, my main co-founder was in the UK. And my other co-founder was in Canada. So we're on three different three different countries, two different continents. And so we're talking to VCs and, and all kinds of buzz across the world, which kind of helped. And I've written about that in my ink column. We're having a diverse group. We just had different perspectives, which was awesome. Um, but we bootstrapped it. And so we're bootstrapping this thing. At our peak, we were at a quarter million users. And luckily, we were just at the period of time where it was cheap to do the AWS, you know, so the mm-hmm. Amazon web services and all that. So, we're able to keep it affordable. If it was like 3 years earlier, we would have been dead cuz it would have cost too much. Oh, I had a and website so, that
0: literally went uh, under because I couldn't cost I couldn't cover the server costs.
1: Yeah, I mean, right, exactly. You get like a good hit on Reddit or something and yeah. or you know, and then so later on that year, um, we were on the cover of the New York Times and then I remember the I was at CES and the last day of CES, we were on the cover of the Wall Street Journal, and I almost went into tears because, like, you know, you know CES. You like CES, and it's the last day, and you're judging around. And then I got an email from my co-founder, who, again, is based in England. He's like, today's the day. I was like, what's today's day? He's like, that story they are working on, it's, it's on the cover. Yeah. And I ran down the stairs in the, I think it was in New York, New York. I ran downstairs in my pajamas and went and bought all the copies from the, um, you know, concession stand downstairs. And it was just amazing. Like it was like a a classic moment. And so around that period of time, particularly us two co-founders, we got really tired. We're juggling everything. Remember I still have a kid at home. And so it's like, so it's tough stuff. And so we're like, you know what, we're starting to get tired. And maybe we should start to wind it down. As we start the process in March, then the calls start coming in. And there's, I can't get into details, but there's a few different parties that want to acquire us. And we spend the rest of spring and most of the summer negotiating and talking to different folks. And there's some interesting stuff that happened that maybe we'll be in a tell-all one of these days. Yeah, yeah. If, I want to hear some of yeah, that later. Ooh, yeah, I, I learned a lot. We'll get yeah. that. Um, but uh, at the end of July, uh, the beginning of August, um the deal was done and um they wired us the money. You like thank you very and much that was it. all that hard <laughs> work. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And it was just just before our um our year anniversary. So we ended up um starting and getting acquired about a ten and a half half months after we started. And um which is amazing. And so I talked about that in the bites as Entrepreneur where I was surprised that I was able to maintain all that stuff and still have a good relationship, obviously, with my son and all that. And I still maintain the same schedule. So I was still waking up at 315. So I did that for right. like two years. But that also enabled me to have those two years with my son. And I was fully present. Maybe yeah. even more present than other fathers didn't have as crazy of a job. Yeah. And so around that time, I connected with Inc. And I started the Inc. column. The Inc. column got popular enough where I thought maybe I should do a book about it. I did a book called The Bite Size Entrepreneur a year after that in 2016, and it became a bestseller on Amazon. It self-published it, and that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> and then um, that became a series. The complete series is the Ultimate bites Size Entrepreneur Trilogy, and that came out um, November of 2017, so it's all in one book. Um, and I started going on the road and got invited to – I got invited down to Bogota for the second time except I ended up going there as a speaker as opposed to a journalist and I started to realize that I was giving people the bite-sized entrepreneur which takes the tools from the tagline is you the belief that you have to sacrifice everything for your entrepreneur to make your entrepreneurial mark is a myth mm. cuz I didn't I I worked my ass off but I didn't sacrifice everything still married You know, I still have a close connection with my kids. Now I have two, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but also I had, I rode off into the sunset where both you and I know, like for sure from that period of time in San Francisco, there are people that lost themselves, Mm -hmm. you know, with the, the monster and red bulls and, and vodkas and all that. And, and going out and doing those stretches where they didn't sleep for weeks. And they're like 20-something, they burnt themselves out. There's people that I've never heard from since. Mm-hmm. Like, they went off the map. Like, they lost their mind, essentially. Or they burnt out and they went back to wherever they may be from, coming from Silicon Valley. And here I was doing it, things my particular way, with my priorities in order, and my company got acquired. It's like, okay, so what's where's the disconnect there? And so that's what the bites as Entrepreneur is about, is taking these insights and break it down and a lot of people jived with it, obviously with the, the best seller status. But as I was traveling around the world with it, I started getting the same questions where some people would buy my book, they'd hear my keynote. Some people had already bought my book and came to see me and they'd be like, thanks for signing my book. So when do I know when I'm ready to start? Mm. And I'm like, well, start what? They're like, start my entrepreneurial journey. And I'm like, well, what are you waiting for? You're like, well, I don't know when the right moment is, or they'd say, Okay, well, I'll go and get started because I love the stuff you say in the Bites of Entrepreneur, but I'm just gonna wait until my kids are older, right? I'm gonna wait yeah, until I'm, I'm, I am want to put some money, right? Yeah. I'm gonna put more money, you know, where I'm going, like, I'm put some mm-hmm. more money away, it's another dime, and then I'll get started. And what I realized is that people the size Entrepreneur wasn't enough. I wasn't planning on writing Bring Your Worth. Like that was the ultimate Bitesize Entrepreneur was it. Like I was done. Like I, again, I, it was a trilogy and the fourth book, which is a complete trilogy has bonus content in there. So I did like four books within like a year and a half. And I'm like, I'm done. And the audience was like, no, like they didn't quite get it. And it needed to be this extra push. And yeah. the extra push was saying, you need to understand your worth and that has to be an inside job. And we no got one to validate your stuff.
0: We've got to your book now. <laughs> we we <laughs> went through the story, and we're here. <laughs> We've arrived, Damon. We've arrived to
1: bring your worth.
0: I'm, used,
1: I'm I, used to the I'm used to the Tim Ferriss podcast where they talk for three. Oh hours. no no no! You got to forgive
0: me. The appropriate amount of time so far to go through all that stuff. But I will say this: to kind of jump ahead, uh, with this book bring your worth? I yeah. think what you just said and, and the lead up to it uh, is so important because, you know, we will have a separate podcast about just 2009, 2010 and you and I and, and SF, but but what you spoke to happens in lots of places. It happens in comedy clubs in L.A. It happens mm-hmm. with actors. It happens in different, uh, you know, types of systems where people get into a little thing that's this kind of fun, electric moment and they don't have that base to know themselves, and they spiral out or they follow whatever is happening. And I think that what you're talking about is really important because there is so much to what we've accomplished and what other people accomplish uh, that starts with yourself. And I feel like that's what I got mostly from this book, Um, understanding where you are, understanding your strengths and weaknesses, something that I'm still working on, um, and again, have a lot of questions about it, but I think that that, yeah, that's it. That's important because that starts before the, I'm going to put some money away or I'm waiting for the right time, or you'll hear a lot of things. And I'm sure I've said some of them along the years too. I'm not better than other people, but I will say that's why this book is really important for people to check out because you've got to understand what's going on in the insides for lots of reasons. Uh, good relationships you know having children etc um, having a good job or having rewarding friendships hello like you can't have a I don't think you can have good friendships without understanding where you're from and in your book you said you want your purpose to be as transparent as a drop of water which I thought was very very good and very simple way of saying like yeah it should just be that you know Yeah. I think that's, thank you. Yeah. I think that's the thing. It's just, it is, it is quite simple. And for, um, it should be simple, but it's not simple for everybody.
1: No. I mean, simple doesn't mean it's easy. Right. Right. Yeah. As, as, as a teacher once told me, you know, so, so for bring your worth, um, again, it's all in the title, uh, level up your creative power value and service to the world. And so, I did a keynote just over a year ago um, down uh, down south in Austin, and um, I ta- talked about this where there's three different types of ways that that we value ourselves in the world. The first way is how the people we work for or work with look at us, so our partnerships. And as I argue, everything is a partnership doesn't matter if you're working with a conglomerate like Viacom or you're working with, you know, a dollar store down the street and you're a janitor. They're all partnerships because if they didn't need you, then they wouldn't give you money. They wouldn't hire you. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like people worry about stuff like that. And it's like, well, if you really were disposable, you wouldn't be getting a check at all. So you need to act like that you're contributing something. Otherwise they wouldn't hire you. If they're that ruthless of a company, Why would they hire you if they didn't need you, regardless of what they're saying? So you act like it. You create partnerships based on that. Um, The second is your value to your pocketbook, your your money. And the thing is, is to start whatever you're going to start without waiting for permission. So think about that big thing that you want to do and think about how you can do it without waiting for someone else's permission. most of the money I have coming in, again, it's been six books in the past two and a half years, something like that. Um, they're all self-published. They're all profitable. Now, the profit could be, for one of them, like this big, for the best like this big. But that's money that's coming directly to me. The thing is, is that if I waited, which is a whole different discussion, we can talk for three hours about that. I talk about it briefly in, in my keynote. You can go to DamonBrown.net for that. But in the, um, as I talked about in the keynote, um, the publishing industry didn't understand what I was trying to do with the bite-sized entrepreneur. So if I was waiting on them, right, then we wouldn't be talking right now. Like that's that's why I have so much humility when it comes to the journey thus far, which is why I wanted to share it. Because even for the parts that were dark or confusing or really freaking hard, which were quite a few moments of those, I know without that my life wouldn't be what it is now, like, like direct, not in hyperbole, not in, you know, rose colored glasses, the past, like, no, quite literally, if, if my support team hadn't abandoned me when I was trying to do so quotable, then I wouldn't have learned how to program and launch an app. If I didn't learn how to program and launch an app, then I wouldn't have been prepared to become a co-founder with, with Cuddler and ride that wave of a quarter million users and the front page of the New York times. Like I wouldn't be ready for those levels. And if right? And if that didn't happen, then of course I wouldn't be able to share with other people through ink and through talking to you. And then if that didn't happen, then bring your worth wouldn't have happened. And so understanding that waiting for permission, it's, 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 it's a false negative. It's like, it's something that you're just waiting on. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter, particularly in this day and age. If this was 30 years ago, we were talking, sure. Now it doesn't make any sense, which I think, you know, probably more than most people, if you want to create, like you said, you, you're planning on launching an app, like, I might do it tonight. It might happen tonight. Who knows? Exactly. Like, whatever. Like, that's your choice. So it could happen tonight. It could happen a year from now. But that is understanding that you have that power, which is kind of the pattern with the book. The third part is understanding your service in the world and understanding that everyone has a legacy. And we talked about that, like with you being from upstate New York and your history with your family and all that, that created who you are. And if there's corners of shame or guilt or parts you want to avoid, you might be able to avoid the pain or challenges with that. And that might feel comfortable, but not understanding that there's also gems within that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why I'm open and honest where it's like, yeah, I have a complicated relationship with both of my dads. I actually talk about that towards the end of a Bring Your Worth where I talk about my relationship with them briefly. Um, and not to get all Dr. Phil or anything, but understanding that, if I didn't confront and think about my emotions related to that, then I wouldn't be able to get get the gifts that they gave me. And I talk about, again, I don't want to spoil the book, but there's certain insights that I learned about my parents and about my history that just dawned on me recently. Again, I'm in my early 40s -hmm. and I'm a pretty introspective person. And it wasn't until I was writing this book and thinking about it that I realized these gems I would gotten from my family and help that helped me get here today but it required me to also if i hadn't done the healing and looked honestly about my role in my family and the challenges i have with my family that wouldn't be
0: able to recognize the beauty in it too it's almost like does that make sense yeah it does i have a qu i have a question though because um sure you're leading me into a perfect uh, question that i had that it might not have an answer and it might be rhetorical. But what you just said about a lot of us, like, you know, starting to reflect, starting to see the, the gems or the, the powerful things that we were given by these hardships or just by these unusual circumstances, I'm doing that myself too. I'm also very reflective. I'm also in my 40s, and I'm also trying to um, learn all this new stuff from what had happened to me. My question that I wrote down was, is it possible – that our now this is heavy duty. Is it possible that our cosmic self is destined to go through a wild ride and allows us for choice, which involves duality, which we we'll could talk about later, and yet still already be determined? And if so, is that not liberating? So you're saying we don't necessarily
1: have free will
0: because it's already been decided by our parallel self. No, I'm saying that because it was in the parentheses in my thing, which involves duality, because I think, which is a heavy-duty topic, but you can have free will and fate at the same time because quantum physics has this uh, theory about uh, particles can be uh, waves or particles.
1: Right, right, sure. Right, at the same
0: time. It's double-slit experiment, and you can Google that. But um, so I believe that there is a duality that our brain – our current brain can't figure out quite right because it doesn't really see that around it. It thinks of a finality and it thinks of beginning and end. So if we have this duality where we do still have choice to your point is, is this whole ride and why we go like, well, we go, Oh wow. You know what? All that bad stuff. There's a lot of good stuff that came out of that instead of it being like, uh, just happenstance was all that part of it. Like Damon can handle certain things, right? And I can handle certain things. I know other people, my family included, can't handle some of the stuff I go through. But I can. Now, was that because I my fortuitousness and I'd figured it out and I, you know, worked really hard and now I can handle it, or was it the universe knowing what I could handle and going like, "You know what? Again, I'm speaking of like not really a god, but more of a fate kind of thing. Like Carlos can handle this stuff. So let's throw a bunch of bad stuff that he'll be able to get through. But then look at all this good stuff we're gonna give him at the end of all the stuff he went through. And now he's gonna be an even a stronger version of himself. And Damon, we're gonna give him a different thing. He's gonna have a kid. <laughs> Carlos doesn't have one yet, but he's gonna have a kid. He's gonna to have to give up at 350 in the morning. He's gonna be part of this thing called the Cuddler app. But all that stuff, and then you know, his support system leaving. Other people maybe couldn't handle, but Damon could. Do you see what I'm getting at? I do. do. And I don't know if that, I don't know if I believe that to be true, but it is very interesting the way that you just said all that stuff and the way that I think of my life and I'm reflecting on. I go, yes, it does make sense for me. And yes, I am seeing these positives from the negatives, but is that because that's what I'm supposed to go through? Wow. Yeah. I actually have a. Sorry, that's a heavy duty. No, I love it. No, there's actually a
1: passage in here. Which I've become one of those people that look for passages
0: in my own book. Oh, I know. Um, it just sounded like the Bible, by the way, when you said <laughs> <laughs> Let's turn to verse three. Yes. You know,
1: I do don't we know have my to sing
0: b- hymns. I don't want to do hymns.
1: <laughs> I'm not a big Bible guy, but I am into other spiritualities. So uh yeah, but I'm not gonna uh, I, I I
0: hope I didn't derail too much. I, I think this has no, not at all. In your book and knowing yourself. So ah, uh, here it is.
1: Um, and this is actually I have an excerpt of the book um, in my ink column. So ink ran an excerpt about a month ago. Oh, cool. And so yeah, so if you go to inc uh, DamonBrown.com or um, um, if you follow me on Twitter, it's uh, Brown Damon. or I have my email list, which is like my my big community, and that's at Joindamon.me. And I'm if you read my ink column at all, I'm really into email because that's the best way to connect with you directly. But here it is from from the there is also an excerpt from ink. Your core ideas, those core intentions as a creator, are all built in the struggle, not in the feast. The biggest danger then, isn't missing your opportunity to shine brightly, to create wealth, or to impact the world, but not allowing those life experiences to prepare you to do those very things. The circumstances will come in disguises, cloaked in a frustrating situation, a setback, or an unexpected development. Your life is tailor-made to develop the muscles you need to succeed.
0: Mm, tailor-made. You just said it. It's, yeah. I you just said a it. while ago. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's it. I wanted to make sure I read it exactly. All right. Well, then exactly. I think we're on the
0: same page. I think so. And um, there's
1: you and I aren't like the first people to talk about this, obviously. And there's, um, there's a spiritual uh, person um, called uh, Abraham Hicks who actually, quote, in the um in the book and they did a book called the vortex which talks about this and gets into the law of attraction and those ideas oh, yeah. I love the audiobook the audiobook is also seven hours holy I've listened I've listened to the audiobook two or three times and, it always and goes I always we mind. were talking a long time Good no that's golly. between them and Tim Ferris like I could talk to you for five hours but um but I mean but actually I quote uh, Abraham Hicks in the uh, Beginning of one of the chapters. I think it's one of the later chapters, but yeah, but enough where we're in being a significant influence on the book, but there's that um, there's uh, uh, Elizabeth Gilbert, which I'm a big fan of her book big magic, which I've quoted in the bites as entrepreneur and and um, Several times in the ink column, but it's this argument that our life is tailor-made for us now the debate or the spiritual part comes in of whether universe says this is something that that Carlos needs, or if Carlos said, "I'm going to get started on this
0: journey," these are the muscles I need to develop. Let right. Me go ahead. And manifestation, and that's the other part of this, right? And manifestation is uh, almost every time I've used it, it's worked, and it's not the thing that you think the secret or anything like that. Right. Um, that's kind of a misnomer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, there was definitely
0: physicists in that movie that or in the book or whatever. I guess it's just a movie, but there were some, you know, reality and science and stuff like that, but it was just kind of confused. I will say this though, the manifestation part that I've done, uh, even most recently, it it is all about intention. And then you still have to do hard work and you still have to work towards a goal. But I think it's the key to manifestation for me is to kind of go off your pack uh, your idea of like did carlos say tell the universe i would like you know to go this direction is you don't say specifically what you want you just say like i would like to go at this thing whether that be like you know a job in this type of industry or live in this type of place or whatever and then you let the universe jump back at you and hit you with a bunch of stuff so right. like you said earlier the partnership i feel like it's like having a partnership with the universe Hmm. I know. I just made that up. That might be. I love it.
1: Okay. Let me write that down.
0: (laughs) Yeah. partnership in the universe. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Give me royalty. Uh, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. And Here's the thing though. Okay. We're being lovey-dovey. We're all agreeing. Uh, people love podcast differences differences, right? So sure. What you got? um, Let me play devil's advocate. Okay. Yeah. this is for people listening and they're like, you know what? All this sounds great guys. You're all having a great idea how the world works. Here's my devil. Let me thing. get the let me get the whiskey and then yeah, drink, drink first. Okay. When you're, oh, you're doing drink, devil's advocate. We're talking about um things happening for a reason, understanding the universe, having intention, manifestation, and understanding yourself, which is the book is really about. I think a lot of it is, uh, so that you can accomplish the things you want to accomplish. Right. The biggest question I think that anyone listening has, including myself, is the cycle of something being successful or not coming into play. Because you have intentions, you have manifestations, you have all these things you want to do. You think you know yourself or you do know yourself and you go and do it. I can ex- take example out of my life. Um, I have a weird idea for a show, let's say, a video. And I put it up and it's got kind of good distribution and um, and people don't like it or no one sees it. And the views are five. All right. (laughs) Five views. And you spent a lot of time and you have other writers that worked on it with you. And you just think that, like, okay, well, I'm obviously a piece of shit Uh, or I have no talent. And a lot of artists, um, you know, specifically comedians and entertainers, I think I fall into that ilk. We live and die by our last thing that we did. And if something goes to the ether and no one cares, we second guess ourselves in a second. I know many friends that are uh, comedy people who basically say like, well, I'm a fraud. I obviously have never had any talent and I should have never been doing this. My question to you, long winded as it is, is how do people, even with their best intentions and their best self in mind, deal with the not just failure but the kind of no response because i feel like the no response is the hardest Mm -hmm. thing to get past.
1: it is yeah that's a damn good question um and devil's um, advocate no not devil's advocate at all like i you know the only reason why i was able to shine you know with those peak moments because of all the failures if you want to use the term failure that happened before and after like there's stuff that's you know, my, my, my list of dead projects is deep. So I, yes. I, I, yeah. I get it. I get what you're saying. Um, I also have videos that have, you know, two views, you know, I think my mom and my wife watched it. Um, I think there's a few different, different things to, to consider. The first thing is what your metric is. And so defining the success from the outset. So in my example, what's so quotable, I just wanted to get it to the market. But for me to get to the market, I had to get up at 315. I had to balance things with my kid and my wife. I had to still make a living as a journalist and as an author. Um, I had to make it by deadline once I had the TED talk in the queue. Like there so there were so many obstacles with that. As soon as the app came out, you would have thought I won the Nobel Prize. Right. But I was like, before, <clears throat> excuse me, before I go on this journey, I need to decide what success is or not. Um, there's a great example where um, the um, marketer, but I call him more for motivational speaker, Seth Godin, I'm a big fan of his. He talked about this ultra marathon runner. So the people that run like, you know, hundred miles in the desert and all this stuff. And wh- what the ultra mar- marathon runner said was that you have to decide the circumstances in which you quit, which is kind of the inverse of your question, but still gets into it. And so basically, If you're at mile 25 or 20, let's say mile 20 of a 26-mile run, and your leg starts to hurt, your first instinct is going to be to quit. But if you, before, when you're comfortable resting, before you even started running, you said, you know what? If both of my knees give out, I'm going to quit. Then you're out there, you're at mile 20, and one of your legs starts to hurt you might want to quit, but you knew that the circumstance in which you would quit would be if both your knees went out. Mm-hmm. So that's the same thing with creating like a framework of saying, this is my version of success. Um, with Cuddler, I wanted to make sure that, that we hit the right people and they were able to connect. I wanted to move the culture, which is usually my energy anyway. That's why I became a journalist. It's like, I want to mm-hmm. influence the culture. And it's become less and less passive as I've gone out of journalism and went Obviously, to public speaking, to direct coaching, to to um, be an entrepreneur, which is like the opposite of being a journalist, because you're actually becoming part of the subject versus observing. But anyway, so so if that was the intention with Cuddler, as soon as we got out and then we were on the cover of major magazines and stuff, and we were a talking point, I was like, okay, cool. But then the numbers kept rising, and again, before we knew it, by the end of the year, we had a quarter million users. So it's like, oh. This is great. So then everything became icing on the cake. And then we were able to sell it. I'm like, oh, I made money too? This is awesome. We're going to go out to dinner tonight. Like that kind of thing. And so I think defining what that metric is, what success is, matters. And I think that's – with the people I work with, that's like the key thing. It's like what's your definition of success? Now, if your thing is with the bites of – with Porn and Pong, like the the book I did way back when we met, my intention was to treat it like the Sex Pistols' first album, where their first album, Nevermind the Bollocks, didn't actually sell that well, but every single person, arguably that bought the album, they went and got a guitar the next
0: day and made a punk, a yeah, punk 100%. band. You feel me? You know where I'm going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I just had this discussion yesterday, not to cut you off, but like, yeah, I just had this discussion about moving the form forward, and I feel like we've both done that, and I feel like obviously other people do too. But to to be reckoning to recognize that uh, is huge because I think Pat Oswalt just was talking about this on a, a podcast where you know he knew that when him and a bunch of people were you know doing Largo and some early comedy stuff that was kind of alternative comedy scene. It was, you know, they weren't getting paid well. They were doing it because they felt the fever and the passion. And that's why we have Mr. Show. And that's why we have mm-hmm. all these incredible indie comedy stuff that has now become mainstream is because there are certain people that were fighting for the form. And I think that's also part of journalism where, um, you know, just understanding what the pulse is and, and, and just seeing the full thing, the full picture. And I think that when it comes to artistry and creating, um, we do get kind of lost in the, 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 the very much now, the very much this video, this project, but we aren't seeing the, you know, the sex pistols. We aren't seeing that kind of like, Oh, these people were inspired. You know, what you're doing is uh, I've, been lucky enough to have people tell me this as of recently that I inspired them to do this podcast or to do Mm. this project and that's awesome that's a whole other thing that's the thing I think that we you know get nearsighted on we don't see that probably
1: no and we don't see the impact of that um and so when porn and pong wasn't a bestseller and it didn't make me directly a ton of money it made me money later but it didn't make a ton of money as, as a product, like it probably lost everybody money. Um, but um, there were two quick instances where the first one is that um, my, my book, Porn and Pong, and there's another book by a colleague named Brenda Brathwaite. And it's a book called Sex and Video Games. And our books came out around the same time with like six months. Very much a, um, what's it called? A, Carl Jung, Collective Unconscious, where it's yeah, like, this yeah, is the yeah. topic right now. Hers yeah. came out in late 2007. Mine came out in This is the book that needs to be made right
0: now. Okay, we all get it.
1: <laughs> exactly, right. We get right. Elizabeth Gilbert talks about that in Big Magic, and she articulated way better than I could. Highly recommend the book. But when I did that, um, her and I's book are the ones that are cited when people talk about sex in video games. Like, we're the definitive texts. Hers from, she's a she was a video game designer, still is. So hers from an industry standpoint, mine from a pop cultural journalist standpoint. And then you put the two books together, you got the perfect book on sex and video games. Her and I are super cool. We've actually worked, worked on pro- projects together in the past. So so I mean, so we're like a nice unified pair there. So us seeing that work cited, and then um, someone who's like a friend of mine now, but back in the day when we first connected, she was part of the video game industry. And she was like, I know your name. I went to f- find your book in the Stanford Library and someone stole it. Oh. And I was like, thank you. I'm a big library nerd too. I made it. Like, thank yeah. Thank you. But so, right. Someone cared enough to steal it. Like they didn't yeah. bring it back. There's a ton of books there. They, they decided to steal Porn and Pog. Hopefully, not because of the cover. Yeah. you um, know, The cover is also. <laughs> the cover's by, uh, yeah, the cover's by Coop. And if you know Coop's work, then, uh, you know what the cover intense. looks like. It's an intense cover. I know it is an intense cover. Yeah, actually, I have a poster of it, but because now I have kids, it's uh, in the oh. garage. It's going come like out Marcus later. on it. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> <A> little, <laughs> little Marcus on it. But but my whole point is that that was my thing. Is I wanted to do the definitive thing to talk about this history and to honor that history. So I was satisfied with the result. Yeah. And so I think that's the thing is you talked about it yourself intention. And so if your intention is to get a million YouTube views, then the art that you create is going to be different, I would argue, than if your intention was to inspire the next generation of YouTube filmmakers or auteurs or whatever, you know, whatever terminology you want to use. You know, for, you know, the the Bites of Entrepreneur became a bestseller. That was not my intention. Um, Bring Your Worth is not a bestseller so far. But the intensity and the honesty in the words like this is like this is the most vulnerable I've been in a book. And I talk about some personal stuff, not personal where it's going to make people uncomfortable, but more like, again, that level of vulnerability is way higher than any other thing. Mm -hmm. And almost every single person that's bought the book has contacted me or shared their thoughts or shared that they bought the book on social media which is crazy. Like, just stop and think about that. So so the engagement with my audience is at an all-time high. Right. Arguably more than it was with, with The Bites as Entrepreneur, which came, became a bestseller. But my main intention with this wasn't for it to be a bestseller, but like I explained, for me to meet people at keynotes and they need that missing piece. This right. is the missing piece. Like, I've handed it to people with both hands and said, no, this is... It's like you can buy the the bikes as an entrepreneur. That's cool. These are the tools that you need to get yourself off the ground. You need to read this mm-hmm. because you can have all the tools in the world, but I can tell you're not quite
0: you you thinking. You, yourself.
1: you need this, and yeah. and and I'm having a level of rawness and honesty with there again that I hadn't done before. Um, and so being very vulnerable and being very honest about it and then being willing to talk about it. But I had to I had to be at a, I had to go through the bring your worst stuff myself and know myself enough to be vulnerable on this level and be confident enough because you know, not everyone's liked the book so far. Right. I've got some feedback where people don't like it. And I'm like, okay, well, it's not for you. Right. But well, the people that, that do get it, they get yeah. it. And, that and that's back. my intention
0: back to your point that um setting your expectation like so with cuddler you yeah. were like i just want to get it out there you know and i and i yeah. by the way i've been biting my tongue this whole time because i have an app that is literally in the app store right now that has a lot of similarities so it's crazy to me because we are we're super similar i think and i do want to spend more time with you so i'm gonna like fly out to where you are but um the the app that i'll talk talk to you about after the podcast uh it, it reminds me of the cuddler and so cuddler was like, you, we just want to launch this. So that was your expectation. And so then back to my earlier question, you know, how do you uh, set up, deal with this kind of failures or, or losing at times is because you set up what you want to do and then you don't feel, I think when you have it open-ended, you are pretty much set up for failure because if you go, here's a thing, you know, that's it. That's it. Just here's a thing. Then if nothing happens, you're like, oh, well, yeah, then you guess, second guess yourself. But then you like with your book, your most recent one, you know, you wanted to tell this story and you wanted to help people in a certain way and you're doing it and that's it. It's happening and you're doing it. If it goes on and becomes even more successful or whatever, that, like you said earlier, is gravy because now you're doing what you're doing. So I think kind of answering my question is it's it and you did it is this setting expectation uh and then making yourself feel you know like that's what you wanted to do and that's what you did i think it it is still it isn't the full answer because i still hear people listening to the podcast going like yeah well that's cool but i set my expectation to be five thousand views and it's two so now what do i do and
1: yeah yeah i mean and and we can dig deeper into that for a second i mean i think the thing is that if that's your main intention, then you have to do the homework to, to create that intention. Um, I'm trying to give a good example of this. If my intention was to, to be married ideally and have kids, then working backwards, then there's certain decisions I'm going to make. So it's like, okay, well, I'm going to value relationships. And I'm going to think about other people. Right. And I'm going to be in areas and become the person that I want to marry. So I spent time in school and started going to conferences and I learned other languages and I learned how to cook. I always knew how to cook, by the way. But, and this is a really, you know, uh, simple, benign example of it. But it's that very thing. Um, when I started to self publish books, And that actually started back in 2010, around the time that we met. I self-published my first book, and it was a guide to the iPad. And I ended up doing the first book on Amazon that was a guide to the iPad, and that became my first bestseller. So my first bestseller was actually an independent book. And um, it did well enough where, like, it sustained me in San Francisco for a while, which is, like, crazy, particularly at that time. So it went well beyond what I was expecting. But I did the research. I did the all-nighters working with the iPad. I understood mm-hmm. the publishing industry. Like I did the work. So I'm gonna circle back to what you said, like at the top <laughs> of the hour or something, maybe two hours ago. <laughs> the what, hour, what you, you mean top yeah. of three. Yeah, top of third hour ago of you saying, you can't just, um, oh, what was, someone had a great example. It might've been Brene Brown, but I think it was someone else that said, It's not about you sitting there and saying, I really want a sandwich. I'm gonna really concentrate on having a sandwich. If I sit here and believe, then a sandwich is going to appear in my hand. Right. Well, no, I have to get off my ass and I have to go and check if there's bread. And I have to go get cheese and I have to go get meat if I'm into meat and get tomatoes. And I have to go and make sure I have knives, but I had to go and make sure that my house was provided for so I actually had the utensils to make a sandwich and slice and in half. You know, I had to go to the store to get mayonnaise, but I have to have the money to get mayonnaise. Like there's a process to every single thing that we want to do. And I think with Bring Your Worth, that's what I'm trying to do is balance those two sides and say with the Bison entrepreneur, it's basically saying, okay, here are tools, practical things you can do but if you don't have faith and if you don't believe you're worthy of a sandwich then there's no way that you're going to get up and be motivated to make a sandwich nor if someone comes by and says hey let me get you a sandwich you're going to say no because you don't think you're worthy of it there's Mm -hmm. a good example in there that i talk about where um if there's a um, parable in there and I won't even get into the parable, but the basic idea is saying that if you believe that you're, let's give a number to it. You believe that, that the work that you do, let's say as a social media person is worth $12 an hour. Someone comes to you and says, Hey, there's a, there's an opportunity. I love your work. We're well-funded. How much do you charge? What this are you going to say,
0: by the way, this literally happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> you're telling my story, but continue. I'll, I'll hear how you end it. am <laughs> sorry. No, no, it's
1: okay. I'm like, totally. It's not even my intention. That's why I'm laughing. Yeah, yeah. Um, But your response, because I've been in that same situation. I mean, we've both been independent for a while. So. I've been a full-time freelancer for 20 years almost. So we both know this deal. So it's not about you. It's like, this is just the nature of the industry. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to ask you, it's like, so how much do you charge? And you have it locked to your mind. You're like, well, with all the other work that I've done, you know, they've paid me $12 an hour. So I'm going to tell them like 13 mm-hmm. Where they on their other side could be like, well, I'm ready to give Carlos like $40 an hour. But let's see what he says. So that's a really simple, again, benign example of that. But it's common. And yeah. I struggle with that, too. Like, I'm not, I'm not on a perch saying I'm over that. Like, that's why I wrote the book. It's like I'm honest in there about where I'm at, too. And I still struggle with that. So that's how your perception can mess with you. Because then you could have great opportunities. I had the opportunity to um, do consulting. And it was out of the blue. It was one of my first consulting gigs. I was still identified as a journalist. I talked to a mentor of mine and I was panicking. I was like, they want to know how much I want to charge for this. And she she said, I, you, I don't need to know the number, but whatever the number is, double it. Damn. And, and I was like, what, 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 what? I've, I've I was positive. I remember giddy. the moment and she was like, double it. And what she understood, which I didn't understand, is that I still view myself as a journalist. The organization that was hiring me viewed me as a subject matter expert. They viewed me as a consultant. So I would have charged them journalism rates mm-hmm. where they were happy to pay me as a consultant. I doubled the rates and they gave it to me. They're like, sure, didn't yep. blink an eye. Now, by the way, mean, that, literally, moment, happened, of course.
0: that literally happened to me okay. too. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. And, and the fact that like, and I think this is an important point to make here, is what you're saying, besides a lot of things, is, you know, it's all, a lot of times it's a based on the, um, the, the, the tag that you give yourself, right? And that is a thing that comes from internally. Like Damon's a journalist. Carl's a journalist, you know? And then you think those things. And then you think those rates or whatever. I've been social media and just social media by itself. When the beginning of social media happened, which I was a part of as well, mm. that wasn't an expensive job. That, that wasn't a well-paid job and so if i would keep thinking myself that way you or you do listening you can pigeonhole yourself and put yourself in a box now real quick an example uh i've been doing a lot more hosting gigs so uh the last few years i've been doing them and going out to different shows and my manifestation is i'm gonna have a talk show at some point um one that's not just on the internet but like a a bigger thing and please invite me back Oh, you'll hey, be hey. on the talk show yeah, you've Thank already you. been on my shows, but um yeah. there'll be another one and it will be something and it'll be big and fun and whatever it is. The point I'm saying is as I'm doing these uh, hosting gigs, I'm a host now right so that's a host thing it it pays more <laughs> it pays more than just you know whatever <laughs> we're doing a side little thing for for Twitter so this is this is your point I think you're making is think of yourself internally think of your worth hey oh back to the book and think of that you can be outside of the box that you might put yourself in right and understanding and i think that's the key key phrasing is that you're putting yourself in that box Mm.
1: and other people can't can't do that they don't have that power like that's what i'm really driving at in the book with um with understanding that everything is a partnership, understanding that you do not need to wait for permission. You should not wait for permission because no one else can give you permission. Um, that everything, everyone, every single person has a legacy. So you are worth something, no matter where what your position title is or what you've been through. The pattern in all those things is that no one else has power over you. Like that's, that's really the discussion here. But the double-edged sword of that is that you have all the power over yourself. So if you're having a particularly challenging time as far as people valuing what you do, again, that's an inside job. Yeah, you were no working me at that point. Exactly. And no one else can do that. So it's a double-edged sword where it's a great deal of responsibility that we have um, to ourselves. And then I would argue towards the end of the book, I talked about this where we have that responsibility at the end of the day to the culture too. If I didn't have the confidence to, early in my career, to write a book called Porn and Pong, then there wouldn't be a definitive book, aside from Brenda's book, there wouldn't be another definitive book talking about this, now the halcyon days of video games. And some of these video games don't exist anymore. There are people, historians that have read the book that forgot about some of the games I mentioned in there. Mm-hmm. I, I did that history. and I, I, But I had to be brave enough to say, this is where things are taking me you know, saying, I am going to be a technology and sex journalist. That's my label. Now, that was before I got to San Francisco, so it's a little yeah. bit more controversy out, away, away from Silicon Valley. But I had the, had the, have the confidence to say, this is my worth, this is where I belong. If I didn't do that, as I mentioned earlier, then that wouldn't have started this trail of events that eventually led to Cuddler, which arguably is my biggest, definitely my biggest entrepreneurial success. But there would be no Cuddler in its current form if there wasn't for porn and Pong, mm-hmm. but that required me understanding my own worth. And so we get so upset as independents about how people treat us or, you know, getting enough money or people don't understand the impact we're trying to make. But often, I'd say 99% of the time, it's our own issue. And if there are people, which I mentioned in the book, I say a lot more eloquently there, but if there are people that don't value us, to the level that we're supposed to be valued, then they'll naturally fall away. The people that did not like Bring Your Worth, that's okay. But I know some of them that I connected with, it's not for them and they will never value the book. Right. But there's other people, again, a lot of people I've connected with that they were like, wow. Um, I had a, um, um, a book signing, kind of like a, a pre-launch party that entrepreneur around here threw for me. It was a wonderful experience and very intimate. And I ended up getting into a conversation with one of the people there, and we talked about the book and all that. She bought the book, and then she left the room. And I got scared. I was like, is she okay? And she was in the corner reading. Ooh. Which is beautiful. And the reason why I share that is, almost got, almost went to tears because I already, I like, emotional. I heard it, the book. it right there. But, but seeing, no, n- not now, but then. Oh, but, I thought I heard it right now. Maybe I was, I. I think it's just the whiskey. <laughs> but the, uh, but seeing, but seeing, seeing that, I'm like, that's it. That's why I told at, at this book. That's why I had to be brave mm. and talk about these things that I've never talked about in regards to myself, in regards to my own worth in the book. And these deep truths, and there's a saying within writing where the more, the more personal a truth, the more universal the truth is. So the more detailed you are about a personal struggle that you're going through, not gruesome details, but just being a level of honesty about something that you feel, that feels like it's only your feeling. The deeper that is, the more people around will understand it. That's yeah. why you have... Um, I'm really into music. So you have like um, Joni Mitchell's Blue, you know, which was around the time I was born. Classic album, amazing. And Chris Christopherson, as well as some other folks who were popular at the time, told her not to release the album because it was too personal. And if you listen to the album, it's extremely raw. She talks about giving up her kid for adoption. She talks about like her failed relationship. I believe it was to James Taylor, who was big at the time. Like it was just stuff that was just raw. But it's also one of those beautiful albums that, you know, it sells like a million copies every year. And when I listen to it, it always gets me emotion. I've listened to it for like thousands of times at this point. Oh yeah. But that's but that's the intention. Speaking something that's your truth that becomes the universal truth. And I think that goes all the way back to your question where if we create things that are truly from our truth, then we can move the culture. I saw something with Cuddler. That's why I joined, right. that's why I launched it. That's why I handled the strategy for it. That's why I pushed it so hard as far as, as changing my life to make sure that it would thrive and to the point where we moved it on to the next owners. So, I mean, but that came from my truth. I was telling people what I was working on that summer and they thought I was nuts. I'm gonna connect, use this app to connect people for hugs. And yeah. well, what is that for? And I'm not talking about me being special. I'm talking about everyone has that voice,
0: that voice. I would yeah. argue.
1: yeah. So it's like, how are you creating? And I think the closer you get to that truth and the braver you are with that, the higher your chance of getting your intentional success.
0: I have a question about that. Yeah. so and 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 to your point with the um, with with bands and with artists and and that album, um i I'm a big fan of Nirvana, and I feel like that was that, again, those moments of like, they were being true to themselves, and they were just wanted to make this weird sound that was, I think, beautiful, and yes. it was also right place, right time. But it was them just being them, and they were going to do that no matter what. And then, you know, their true self was was uh, rewarded. Now, my question, and I actually wrote this one down, so I'm glad we kind of naturally fell into it. Um, and then I have one more question, and then we're, we'll probably wrap it up. But the tapping into yourself part. I specifically, and I'm sure people listening can relate, I have a real hard time with this still. You would see my work and you'd Google me and you go, Oh, he's been doing a bazillion things. Um, he knows who he is. Look, he he seems similar, lots of different videos or podcasts or whatever. Um, and I have friends who 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 I go, Oh, yeah, you know, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. You know, and they go, Yeah, you do, you're this. And, and they sometimes can see it, like good friends can see it. But for me, I still struggle with tapping into my true self. And I think that is another hour podcast or maybe therapy. But I'm wondering what your quick thoughts are on, um, or if you have any, on how to do that besides just being true to yourself. That sounds like it should be easy, especially if you like want to like uh be really passionate about what you're doing and you're like you know what i'm gonna make this movie or i'm gonna do this uh, piece of artwork or make this video and this is definitely what i love doing you might be like me and listening and have a lot of passion and know that you can create a lot of different things which i can uh but not know the moment and you don't know your what your true self wants i'll give you a real quick um example of when it has worked. So I've had different shows uh hit, right? Like one was 500,000 views is on GameSpot, you know, everybody knew like I walked into a store someone knew who I was. There was a moment happening where I was being me and I was understanding my true self, but it's but it's not as easy as being like I okay, I'm going to do that again. Because after that was over, and other people have this kind of experience. You go into another job, you go into another phase in your life, that's not there anymore. And you guess second guess yourself and you go, Well, what well what am I? Because it just feels like we tap into that sometimes. And I'm wondering how me personally too can tap into it more. Is that does that make sense as a question? It does. Yeah. I mean, I can I mean, we have we have
1: similar careers, like For me, um, Porn and Pong came out, and I got a lot of good press. So that was 2008. Um, I had a best-selling independent book that was the David Brown's Simple Guide to the iPad. It's still available, but it hasn't been updated in a few years, so you might be sorely disappointed. That was 2010. Um, And then it was Quiet. And then Cuddler happened in 2014, and suddenly on the cover of The Wall Street Journal. Um, and then the Bites as Entrepreneur became a bestseller that was in 2016. And that's pretty much it. So, I mean, so those are major quests, but in those periods of time, I, I had kids, I continued to create, I moved across the country, I connected with people like you. So, so I think, I don't think you can, I don't think you can always tap into it.
0: Right, and I don't want to, and I want to preface this because we yeah, were, yeah. Why don't you break just it down for talking me? Talking about more. success, and we, I don't. It doesn't have to be attached to success. I'm also just mean okay. like, you know, being yourself. The most. Right. Okay, gotcha,
1: gotcha. And so, so as far as as being yourself, I think there's a few different ways to do it. Um, I have a um, a colleague who's now a good friend named Nila for Merchant and she did a book called The Power of Onlyness. Her and I just talked like a couple of weeks ago, she just did a TED talk again, but she's done a TED talk on the main, main stage. You can catch it on ted.com, so she's on that level. And what she talks about in her book is something called signaling. And so signaling is me walking around with a Tribe Called Quest shirt. And I'm a hardcore Tribe Called Quest fan. And so that alone, allows me to connect people who know who Fife and Q-Tip and, um, excuse me, and Ali, Ali um, Shahid Muhammad and even Jarobi who's the silent one. Mm -hmm. They know exactly who those brothers are. They know where the, they know they're from Queens Boulevard over in New York. They know all the, all the lyrics to check the rhymes. They might be able to do the little dance that's in there, like the whole thing that relates to a certain sensibility. By me being more of myself, by signaling, then I attract more people that are similar to me. And by me being myself and attracting more people similar to me, that I have more people who will, number one, support what I want to do. So give me that energy to do that. They're going to give me honest feedback because they want me to succeed. And they're going to connect me with people who want to see my work. Mm. Do you not understand what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, so, so you're basically bringing in the energy by by almost it, literally just wearing something, but like announcing something, announcing yourself.
1: Exactly, exactly. And not like in a
0: preposterous
1: way, but um, like how I pronounce New Orleans, like I pronounce it the proper way, but that's because I used to live there. And so people, other people might not pick up on it, but people that are from New Orleans, they're like, wait, you're... Do you have a connection to Louisiana? I'm like, oh yeah, blah, blah, And in that, and so I know that there's gonna be certain cultural references they'll understand. If I say, um, um and now I'm gonna screw it up, but I'm thinking of another example. Um, If I say, uh, the princess is not in this castle. Oh, Mario Brothers. There you go, but I mean, but you and I know that, like that's nothing, but I mean, but there's certain communities where you'll say that and people will be like, what are you talking about? But if I say that to you, then it's like, of course, of course. And so then I know that you might be interested in porn and pong. And so if I talk to you about porn and pong, you might be receptive or even give better feedback, even if it's critical. Give better feedback than someone on the street who I said that same thing to. And they'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. But that comes from me being comfortable saying video game memes, now they'd be considered memes, but video game memes and so forth. And that comes again from, from being comfortable inside. And so for me, it becomes a cycle where I was, I got confident enough to talk about porn and Pong. And then I started to attract people who were interested in video games and the history behind it and valued it. And then that gave me more feedback and more confidence to even be stronger with my signal. Yeah. To now, where I'm like, you know, it's like 10, 15 years later, I can say, oh, yeah, Sex and Video Games is a really important book. This is what I did back in the day and have no type of qualifications about it. Where when I started writing the book, this would have been 15 years ago, I didn't feel that way. But I had to slowly start to expose myself mm. and connect with the right community. Um, I have a column about it in ink, and I call it Having a Brain Trust. So basically, um, an intimate group of people who, will be honest with you who want you to succeed and they know exactly what your intention is and i think that's what you're kind of getting at where you have friends or colleagues that are like oh no carlos it's you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing and i've had periods where i've been lost even recently where i am like i'm not sure if i'm doing the right move or whatever
0: and people will be like
1: oh no it sounds like you're figuring out what you need to figure out
0: yeah you know um get outside of our heads sometimes that's the that's the problem but i, I think it. Yeah. When you were saying signaling, I just thought of something uh, and I'll do it for you right now. But whenever I do this voice, um, his name is Adi and he talks like this. And there's a character I do and he's been a video. But I can go into Adi at any point because I'm 80 years young and this is who I am. I'm from New York and that's it. If I do this and I'm you know with friends or, or strangers, which I do that as well in an <laughs> elevator somewhere. Hello. Hi, I'm Carlos. I talk like this. I, I, would, I would argue to myself because this is now therapy, uh, that this <laughs> is a true self version. This is a signaling thing because if I do this, people laugh because they see my face and they go, this doesn't make any sense. And also he's very authentic. And he, he knows all the woods. He's got sciatica. and <laughs> <he's sort> of, <laughs> you know,
1: um, but hips if, bothering me. Right.
0: Exactly. Right. Right. And this is, this is a signal I think is what you're saying, because it's, it's me going like, yeah, this is something I just know. Like, And I think that is a special moment uh, for anybody. It could be in a different field. It could be knowing yourself as a doctor or whatever it might be. It doesn't have to be like uh, creative or entertainment or that kind of stuff. But I feel like it's it's few and far between. I think lots of times people get lost in their world and in their life because they can't tap into that. And I know firsthand I'm saying that to you. Like I've had successes that have been, I can't believe that I got to do these things, but I've also had, totally opposite because being in that you know weird world of that we're in um and it makes you second guess yourself but i think it's signaling seems like a very interesting um part of this puzzle because it's it's like us as humans we need something to kind of center us and if we're uncentered it can go crazy it can go back and
1: having that and having that awareness to know that you're that you're not centered
0: oh that's Um, true too if you let's
1: say which is something that that yeah, I'm I'm thankful for that to say. Oh, okay, I I have a I'm usually pretty good at knowing when I'm not centered. Right. And I realize that's a gift. Um and it's like, okay, cuz if you cuz getting back to center is hard, but if you don't even know you're off center, then it's yeah. like oh, it's Yeah. Like oh, yeah, then you're oblivious. Yeah. Right, totally. But to um I talk about that very briefly in the book to to kind of um add a little bit more to to that response is I won't even quote directly from the book because I won't I won't belabor that. But what I basically say is that I used to believe that the universe was 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 like a boot camp sergeant and it was tough. And if you're going to succeed, then it was going to put you through the paces and make sure you you deserved it. And I thought that way for a while. Kind of like Old Testament versus New Testament kind right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of back to the biblical thing. Um but then what I realized, I'd say over the last few years. Is that that's not true I believe what the universe and arguably your higher self if you want to get into that part is really doing is figuring out if you really want to fulfill the intention that you said you wanted Ooh, I, I said I wanted to become an entrepreneur so my support team left I had a four-month-old my wife wasn't there and I had him 12 hours a day so it's like, okay. And then I already made a commitment to TED. Um, I already did a book about it. And then towards the end of it, I do a TED Talk. And, you know, it's like, well, how bad do you want this? Do you really want do, it? Do you want it 3.15 in the morning bad? And it, and, and it would have been fine. Like, it would have been fine if I let it go. Like, I don't – at one period of time, I was like, oh, no, that was a test. No, I don't believe in the test thing anymore. I, I don't – that's – I'm off that. Like, that's not – and I talk about that in the book. Like, that's not – People believe what they believe with me spiritually like that doesn't jive anymore because I don't believe the universe is set up like that. I don't think it's set up for us to potentially fail. I don't believe in that anymore. What I do believe in is saying you have certain things that you've put out there, and it could be you talking to your spouse. You could be talking to your friend or your brother or whatever. You could have wrote it in an essay. You could be talking to yourself in the shower. You could be talking to your pet. I don't care. But there's certain intentions that you put out there and said, you know what? I want to be a millionaire simple as that I want to be a millionaire it's like okay so then let's go ahead and put the things in motion that will give you the opportunity to be a millionaire but there are certain things you're gonna have to go through for that to happen I had to transform to become an entrepreneur because I was a journalist I said I wanted to be an entrepreneur but I didn't know and I had to go through that trial by fire and now I'm definitely an entrepreneur But all that stuff was learned within that two, three-year period where it was Mm -hmm. super intense and super hard. But now, again, I have the muscles. So now I'm coaching entrepreneurs. So I'm like, yep, this is it. And this is how you bootstrap something. And you're going through this. I've been there before. Let me help you out. But I couldn't help other people until I went through what I went through. But I said that's what I wanted to do. So it all comes back to me. You know, So how can I get mad that I'm up at 3.15 in the morning and the baby might have got up in the middle of the night and I'm working on him and make sure it's good and all that stuff if that gets me to the place where I said I wanted to be? So, again, that clarity of intention, for me, it all comes back to that. I mean, that's a big argument in the book where it's just – it all comes back to that. And so if you're going through certain paces or challenges, trust that it's building the muscles that you said you wanted to get ready for. Right. You know what I mean? with the universe, like we said. Yeah, partnership indeed. You said you had another question?
0: I think yeah, you one I have one more question for you. And it, and it yeah. again, perfectly goes right off of this. It is about the research part. You mentioned this, I don't know, an hour ago. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so you mentioned, this <laughs> I mentioned it yesterday. I, you, it was yesterday down. morning, <laughs> and we had not even <laughs> talked. And I was like, wow, I'm still talking with them. But no, research, uh, by the way, let me seriously, every moment we're talking right now is informative, not just for me, but for our listeners, I a hundred percent appreciate it. I will say this, my question that came up, what you brought up and I actually could utilize it very well. I'm wondering how much of it is part of some of the stuff I'm going through. You'd mentioned research when it came to your iPad book, when it come to everything in general. And oddly enough, that's where I came from as well. The idea of in journalism, you research and you, you know, uh, go through all the all the uh, things you need to to figure out the story. So I'm wondering personally and selfishly, and then hopefully someone listening will be wondering the same, is if I'm doing a video, let's say, going back to the video that I want to get more than two views, um, is part of my non-success, let's say, or other people listening, not just the fact of the content, and not just the fact of the discoverability, which is terrible on YouTube and pretty much non-existence because Google has built all these little small bubbles that they put people in, which is a topic for another discussion. Mm -hmm. Um, But is it not just those factors? And is some of it not doing enough research? Because you had mentioned, hey, if I want to do this, I'm going to have to research all these things. And when you think of that, in a book, it makes a lot of sense. Or you think about it in a TED talk, I okay, gotta get it ready, blah, blah, blah. It makes a lot of sense. It makes sense in certain things, but I'm specifically talking about video right now. And I know it's huge on everybody's mind because there's a ton of creators out there right now. And a lot of them get distraught, myself included, when they haven't hit it. Now we're not talking about success, we're talking about connecting with people. All I wanna do when I, when I create content and I feel very lucky to get to do with social media and my current job is connect with people. I just want to engage with them, help them learn, help me grow with you know our connection. But a lot of people wanna do that in video, so they're not really going after like the money. YouTube isn't like about that lots of times. But I'm wondering, is it, you know, maybe more content creators need to do more research around what they're creating instead of just like making a video. It could be true to themselves. And it could be funny and interesting and well produced. But maybe some of the failure to connect is that it's not um, just the content, but about like, you know, maybe they could have done more research around whether it's talking to the right people or connecting with the right people or sharing the videos to the right places. I don't know. Do you think that's part of it? Yes. Okay. Yeah,
1: the, the short answer is yes. Um, I think we're really, as creators, as artists, as makers, let's just say makers, which Mm is a new term that I love. It's not a new term, but people are using it more, and I I think that fits really well into the people I work with and also it's what I uh, identify with. I will always be creating stuff, even if it's, no matter what the medium is, it could be a talk, it could be something that I make and literally give to you. Um, I just partnered with um, my wife as well as my uh, cover art creator to do bring your worth mugs, which I can show you in a second I want one of those. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're actually available online bring your oh. like for real for real, you know And so so I was always be making making something There's kind of two different things It might to try to give a quicker answer to your question. They're kind of two different things There's the act of making And there's the act of giving the act of making is usually what we focus on as makers. That's the part that we enjoy. We enjoy the crafting. We enjoy um, being off. I spent a chunk of last year writing Bring Your Worth. So me being off in a cave. I drop my kids off at um, at preschool daycare and in kindergarten, and then my wife goes off, and then it's just me, you know, with a notepad listening to Sade writing, you know what I mean? Like having that moment. It's you um, um, doing this, like doing, having the conversation or, or editing the footage or whatever part mm-hmm. you really enjoy. It's that. And we tend to think that that is where our gift lies or that's where it ends. Mm. Um, I'll give you a really quick example. I have um, someone that I respect, that I um, still respect, that I looked up to way back in the day an author and I bumped into them and I was like hey what's going on like hey how are you and I was just like a, a new kid on the block so they asked me how I'm doing I'm like oh yeah I'm working on my first book I'm like congratulations and I was like what's going on with you and they're like oh well my book just came out I was like that's amazing what are you doing to support it and they're like no I don't support my books I'm not I don't like that part and I was right. like what do you mean I mean you know me like i'm talking to you right now like this uh, this part and parcel for me but they're like no i just i give it to the publisher and i'm just writing the next thing and whatever it does it does now that's fine and they were at peace with that i'm sure my young face no kind of poker face i'm like what the hell are you talking about but that worked for them they know exactly what it is their intention might be just to create again the art of making that's where a lot of us stop. They were honest about it though, which is why I still love and respect them. They were
0: real about it. They're like, I'm my ass is not going on the road. Right. right. And I'm not doing talk shows. Get out of here. No. Right. And they might have they might have different backgrounds and different um, you know, luxuries, right? Like if if you're not like I, I don't know. I mean, they're they're older than me, so they're
1: probably in their sixties. So maybe they already established themselves and right. maybe they already did what you and I are doing. And they're right. like, nope i'm 60 now i'm good so yep. that's fine but then you have to but you have to be honest about that that part then there's the art of giving which is actually creating something for an audience or which uh, us having journalism backgrounds i think it's important to differentiate with that creating something for an audience or creating something and then cultivating the audience for it that latter part i think is what i do and so creating something for our audience is very much outward facing, where it's like, you know what? Um, now I'm trying to remember of the the name of the really popular all-male Korean pop band. BTS? Thank you. Yeah. It's like, so So BTS, it's like, I'm going to make something for the BTS audience. It's going to be a video. It's going to be a parody of all six guys or whatever. And they're going to have the bowl haircuts and be super pale, and they're going to do this, blah, blah. blah. And it's like, that's how a lot of us approach things. That often doesn't work as well in our current attention economy, in my in my estimation. That hasn't worked well for me, at least. And that's because everyone's kind of thinking that. I talk about
0: that in the book where- Yeah, I, I have of... a quote from it. What's that? I have a quote from your book. It says, base your worth on what the world needs- uh... Or don't do that. Basically, don't base your worth on what the world needs. Um, I, I, that's all I have. <laughs> but it, it's that I'm idea. like, I'm in
1: suspense. I'm like, what did I say?
0: Oh, I know. That's all I have, actually, <laughs> and I fucked it up already. So no, that's
1: uh, it's all good. But I mean, but I think that was the same section where I think it's the first section where I talk about if you're jumping on the bandwagon, right? Yeah. And you're like, this is the hot thing now. I'm going to do this. Yeah. Then it's like, by the time you get there, it's already over. That was the thing with Cuddler. Cuddler was like, people thought it was crazy, as well as my co founders. We thought we were crazy. And it's like, good. Because as soon as it was normalized, which we are part of that, the normalization of it, but as soon as it's normalized, then it's going to jump the shark. And so, really working instead from the standpoint of you having a particular voice, particularly as makers, as creators, not for every field, but if you're making stuff, making stuff. And then trusting and respecting and building a community of people that dig what you do. Like I have my books here. Like my books are short. Like this is my trilogy, and it's like
0: yeah, my trilogy. That, by the way, I remember that when I first got uh, *Porn and Pong*, and then I was reading this book, and I was like, I actually like it. Like I like that attention span. Society, you know, society. I mean,
1: and it's not even an attention span because I can write really long. It's just.
0: Not you. I, no, no, I'm sorry. Not but, you. I mean, us as an audience member.
1: Oh, oh understood. Yeah, I respect it. Yeah. Um, with, with Porn and Pong, I spent five years on it. The book is about 150 pages long. But, but it's just like Bring Your Worth where every single word. Yeah. It's, you know, I got this, and especially back in Porn and Pong, where in the back, like in the back of the book, there's references. I'm like, here's all the source material. And it's like all this source material. And it's like, but it came down to this message and this discussion. Same thing with Bring Your Worth, where I'm citing, you know, again, um, Abraham Hicks, I'm citing Scott citing um Brene Brown, I'm citing Seth Godin, I'm citing uh Deepak Chopra. Which I get into slightly into the the wave and the particle discussion very briefly towards the end. So it's like I'm citing all these people and all these books that are on my shelf, but it comes down to the short book. Yeah, that's not for everybody. And I've gotten feedback where people are like, well, I like your books to be longer? I'm like, well, everything in there's concentrated. if i if I made it longer, then it wouldn't be as good of a book. yeah, but so my books aren't for everybody, but that has to be a conscious decision. Renee Brown talks about in her latest book, her book is called, um, second to, to latest book is called, uh, Braving the Wilderness. And I talked about that very briefly in the book and bring your worth where braving the wilderness to me is there's a certain part in your path, particularly when you start where you're going to be all alone and you will have the two YouTube views and you will, you know, be looking at your pocketbooks and saying, eh. Things are looking thin. I better find another way to feed myself other than this main thing I want to do. There's going to be a certain point where the world's not going to not going to understand what you're doing, and they're not going to respect what you do. Um, again, I spent five years with Porn and Pong, and every year, five years is a long time. So every year I talk to people about it, their attitude would change from that's the craziest freaking idea I've ever heard, not in a good way, to by the time the book was about to come out, they are like, there's not a book on that already. Yeah. Within a four, f- seriously, four to five year span. And if I waited until the audience said, yes, give me that, then you know I wouldn't be able to do a book because the book takes a long time. Those 10,000 hours that, um, what's his name? Malcolm Gladwell um, yeah. made popular. Those don't happen overnight. So you have to start that journey before anyone else believes that journey is happening. But then you have to know yourself and know that the journey's worth it. Yeah. Because really what the book is about is getting silent enough to say this is the important cause and knowing the direction that you're going and having confidence in that. Like you said with Patton Oswalt, you know, the guys – now I'm forgetting the guys behind Mr. Show, the the two guys. I can see their faces. But you know what I'm talking about? Like like those guys were doing stuff. Um, The Canadians doing, like, the show and before them, SCTV, which happened before SNL, like – like, those guys were out there, you know, oh, John yes, Candy and the other folks, Rick Moranis and all of them, like, they were doing yeah. crazy stuff when people just thought they were crazy. Yeah. And then years later, like, they're some of the most popular comedians in the world. But they had to start that journey before other people accepted it. But this goes back to your previous question, where they had people around them. They had the Gilda Ratners. They had the the Dan Aykroyds. that other folks that were around that said, this is of my French, but like, this is the good shit. Mm-hmm. What you're doing, it's the good shit. And maybe the people that did the two or three views, those are the acolytes that that, that you engage with, you talk oh, yeah. with. That's why I have my email community with joindamon.me, where I'll send out an email, I send out an email um, every other Wednesday. And I've talked to more people who have read my books that way than um, in my case in social media or other, other forms. But that's what works for me.
0: Yeah. And I, I, by the way, real quick to an aside, because I've been um, utilizing newsletters recently. uh, A lot more uh, with the companies I work with. And just recently, I just posted one today. And literally, if I um, stop talking with you in a second, I will check Twitter and it'll be full of replies. Uh, Those replies on Twitter came from the newsletter. And that direct connection was wow. acknowledgement of understanding the audience, understanding which ones might come over and join us on Twitter. Um, But that's kind of what you're saying is like knowing, you know, where they are and what those people, who the people are that will champion you. And I think that what you're saying, you know, going back to the signaling is kind of surrounding yourself with this, um, calling the energy and then understanding and recognizing the people that can be part of that group and help, Help you understand yourself more, but also help you spread out whatever the content you're working on is. Um, but yeah, by the way, words of the wise, social media people listening, newsletters aren't a thing of the past and they can really be utilized. And, um, and I also appreciate your use of email because I think that that's a, a thing that still is kind of can be changed and morphed. And we could talk about that some other time. Um, we are definitely out of time today, but I do want to put a pin in this because we're going to obviously talk again on this show. Um, But what I thought we touched on a little bit, I'd love to just spend a lot lot of time on, is the art of giving. And that I'm going to literally, I wrote that down, I'm putting it in quotes, because I think it's going to be a a thing. And I think people are going to be thinking about it, because I think that opens up a whole lot of discussion. And for me personally, I'm going to think about it all night, where, you know, you as a creator can understand yourself. You'll understand yourself better if you read Damon's book, which is Bring Your Worth, um, and buy a mug if you want. But I think understanding yourself, setting expectations, all that stuff is very important. But I think that other side that I'd love to talk to you about next time is how you give it out. And I think that's a, a, a brilliant mm. thing. And, again, sounds like two hours to me. <laughs> at, at least. It's already been. I can't believe it's like it's it's literally the almost the next day here. I'm over well, yeah, for you, I'm, I'm <laughs> over. dinner. I'm I'm excited about that. So <laughs> it's Maybe, okay. So, yeah. I'm excited uh, about dinner you know, too. <laughs> it's been an absolute treat talking with you, and I I miss hanging out in a serious serious way. Um, I know that we have a good uh, something connection, friendship, or whatever it is. it is. Doesn't matter how much you spend time with certain people, you just get that feeling and. I literally can remember the first time we met, which is had blue lights and it was a really cool moment. I was like, I have a cool connection with this person like immediately. So I'm going to fly to you. We'll make it work. Um, but I really appreciate talking with you every time we get the chance. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And
1: um, I know there's a lot of stories there, but yeah. I also, we have a lot of history and so I don't mind like sharing those stories. And in fact, I've really enjoyed um, discussing things with you, and I can tell that um, you're kind of getting things on on the level that that on even on a level higher than than even my expectations for the book. So I know you haven't even finished the book yet, which is amazing. I can't wait for you to finish the book because well, I'm
0: literally in the last uh, was the last section. The last section. Um, oh, the la- the last section is my favorite. So oh, well, you're there gonna you go. oh, okay.
1: I'm excited. You know what it feels like? It feels like if someone said, oh, I've never seen The Wire before. Oh, you say, right. oh my God, oh my yeah, God, yeah, yeah. oh my God, oh my God. Wait until season four.
0: It, that's All what right. it feels like to me, except Didn't, it's my yeah, own wire work. Have you seen The Umbrella Academy on Netflix? No, I haven't. It's one of those things, like there's a certain series, and like, I like that series a lot. It's a kind of a superhero, but also- uh, Seems human pretty quirky. Yeah, 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 I, I yeah. saw the trailer, yeah. And um, and like, that's one of those things where like, I really, if if I showed that to someone and they said they saw two episodes, it doesn't even get close to good yet. And then, yeah, the finale is like, oh my goodness, this is a whole other type of show than I thought it was. Oh, that's
1: awesome. But it's very similar where each of the, there's three chapters to the book and a conclusion and um, what's deep and what you might appreciate just as a, as a final note is that I did the three chapters and it's based on the three pillars of the discussion. Um, Everything's a partnership. Um, Don't wait for permission and you have a legacy. It's, literally the only thing that's on the back of the book. And um, I did those three pillars, did them in different orders, but it gains a lot of momentum as it goes forward. And it's Mm -hmm. almost like going to this grand argument. I thought the book was done uh, Christmas of this year. And we went away for Christmas, connected with my my in-laws and some stuff happened there and some deep thought happened there. And I thought the manuscript was done and i ended up coming back and writing an additional conclusion. And so I think it goes back to trusting the process. And there's certain insights in there and discussions in there that I literally did not have until it was about to go to press Yeah, and did it. And so I think that's the thing too, is with the art of giving also, that requires trusting the process and saying, you know what, I'm going to see where this ride goes. And I couldn't predict it that Cuddler would have happened, that Bites of Entrepreneur would have happened, obviously. Um, or even that I was planning on writing Bring Your Worth. Because like I said, if you talked to me a year ago, I would have said, oh, yeah, I'm done with books for a little while. Mm-hmm. But you got to trust the process. yeah. And that goes all the way back to trusting what your main intention is. I think you had mentioned it briefly earlier, where it's a matter of figuring out what you want and then letting go.
0: Yes yeah which is tricky sometimes it is people go to damonbrown.net for all things damon brown but also the what's the other one.me
1: yeah so join damon.me
0: you can go on there
1: and that's my email community and i'm not big on spamming folks or anything literally i send an email every other wednesday morning that's it yeah and it's a discussion um you can also go to my ink column, which I do regularly at inkdamonbrown.com. And join Damon.me is similar to the ink columns, similar to my writing. Like most of my ink columns are like three to four hundred words. Very focused. You can read it again, bite-sized, really simple. Focused on um, on how you can create your best life based on you exploring your creativity and making a dent in the world. That's it. Like yep. that's the only focus. I got like four to 500 columns, and it it's not an exaggeration. Um, Dude, and so people you can have fun with it.
0: Magazines. I'm telling you, magazines are dead. I love magazines. And you know what? When you're on the airplane and they tell you to put away all your crap, <laughs> you can still read a magazine, all right? That's what I say. You read Damon Brown and Ink magazine when they're telling you to put away this stuff. You're like, listen, that's okay with the the electronics. I get it. But I'm reading a magazine here, so leave oh. me alone. Oh, I saw the accent come out. I know. It's also- no, little 1920s. I go into that, too
1: yeah you're gonna do the c i <laughs>
0: can't that's do the, the, I it i love that one that's my one okay, of my i favorite.
1: can't do the i can't do the james cagney Scarface. i can't oh i can, I can only do, do more, like
0: three sentences so um, <laughs> see
1: oh but one one other thing which is exclusive to you is Ooh. that um the audiobook of bring your worth will be out any day now
0: oh cool that's really good are you working with the uh, digital too like the audible and stuff like that uh, yep, it's 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 all independent. Oh, so same. I'm actually working
1: directly with Audible. So cool. I recorded it myself. Um Yeah, I love although, when the
0: authors do it. That's good.
1: Yeah, totally. And it's and for me, um yeah, I like saying my words because it's <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and I say that not as in my words are good, but more like um quick inside baseball, bring your worth. I thought of initially as something that was to be, to be read out loud. Right, 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 right. So more like intense and ideally inspirational and to yeah. be able to get people motivated. And so if I was going to do that, it's like, there has to be an
0: audio book. Like, Dude, I feel like this, if yeah. I did a book, it would just have to be only audio. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Well, you're an audio guy, right? That's, right. That's right. Right. You think. Yeah. Oh, by the way. So last thing we'll do is um, when, um, when we bring you back, uh, we'll talk about the art of giving. And then also wanted to talk to you about shark tank and dragon's dead because <laughs> I thought you might have some thoughts on that, but we'll do that next time. I'm going to go eat some food. Damon. It's been a pleasure. Um, yeah. thanks for being here, man.
1: Yeah, it's all love. And, uh, if you're into social media, you can get me at uh Brown Damon on all the major platforms. I'd love to hear you. And if you know, grab and bring your worth, use the hashtag bring your worth. And, uh, yeah, let me know what you think. As obviously, I like to talk about the stuff
0: in here. Carlos, you, you're bringing me deep, man. Oh, uh, so. dude, I like it. I like all of our talks. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you guys next time.